0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. We are going to talk about the Bradley Beal extension. We're going to talk about the Warriors' decision to get rid of Alfonso McKinney in order to keep Marquise Chris on the roster. We're going to talk about some preseason notes that we've seen. Mostly Cole, because I've not watched a ton of preseason so far this year. I've kind of picked and chosen my spots a little bit. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about some NBA draft wings that we're intrigued with watching this year. So, Cole, how you doing, man?
1: Doing good. Um, excited to get back into this. I think the Kentucky blue-white game is tonight, as well as Anthony Edwards plays, both at 4 Pacific. If you guys want to check that out, I think they're on the SEC Extended Network or ESPN or some sort of thing. So it's nice to get back into them. I've watched a ton of international basketball. I've been able to catch up this year and, of course, watch some preseason. So it, we're starting to get back into things, man.
0: Yeah, it's funny like we were talking about this beforehand. Like I feel like because I'm doing this big project where I break down all the young players in the NBA right now that in terms of I don't want to say preparation for scouting, because I've seen these kids enter in college more than probably I've seen a class since I've been doing this. I've been doing this like six years, and I feel really good about where I'm at on these guys. But in terms of just like having a list of dudes that I am looking to run down and see and scout and evaluate uh, to see how they leapt over the summer, how their game is developed, I don't have that yet. So uh, that that's going to be my weekend. I think is creating this big master list of players that uh i remember at some point that i have to create updated notes on basically
1: yeah and this is the first year i've really had both as far as all the priors i have watched a lot of aau high school fiba and then i have like this 250 player watch list so this is like the first time that's ever happened usually i'm catching up and you'll be like cool i don't want to talk to you about internationals until you watch them because that's usually way later in the season and this year i've already seen them all so it's kind of nice
0: yeah, I am pumped. At some point, even though Usman Garuba is a twenty twenty one, we're, we're going to have a big fight on Usman Garuba, and it's going to be really Fantastic. fun because you are uh, you are more in than I am. I would say definitely. Yeah, you're you you are like this is uh, this is international Zion.
1: No, I am not like that. <laughs> that's, a no, high, no, Cole, that's a high is, effing bar, dude. But I, I do really is. like him a lot. I think we'll, we'll get into him much more in the future. But I, I love his defense.
0: He is your international Zion. It's fine. We can just we can just say this. Um, we can say things. Things don't matter. Donald Trump's the president. We know that. Like you know, what we actually say doesn't matter. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Bradley Beal extension. He signed a two-year deal on top of the existing two years that he has left on his deal. Added uh, two years for $72 million onto that contract. Really, it's a one-year extension because the second year in his uh, extension is a player option. So the Wizards basically got an extra year of team control over Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal locks in $72 million potentially. Um Which is great for Bradley Beal. I was so I woke up and saw this news yesterday and I was like pretty genuinely shocked uh, that this is what happened. And the reason that I was surprised was more because Bradley Beal has been adamant that the money at this stage is not as important to him. Um, He wants to leave a legacy. He wants to win titles. He wants to um, be on a team that's a competitor. And me personally, I think that Washington is probably one of the two or three teams in the league right now that is farthest from competing for a title. So when you saw that extension, what was your initial reaction?
1: Uh, Basically that and being surprised the weighing of winning versus establishing Legacy really, and even contractually, it was a long shot for him to get Supermax if he made an all NBA team this year. Probably doesn't happen, but it's not completely unforeseeable. Like, there there are certain situations if he just played out of his mind, even though the team's going to be so bad, probably not. But it is kind of rare to see an athlete have this kind of loyalty to an organization, frankly, that hasn't been very good as far as making procedural decisions. It's not like they're the Spurs and Tim Duncan is taking less because they're competing for a title. These are the Wizards who have made a ton of mistakes. and Bradley Beal is still loyal to them, which is it's it's cool to see. I'm happy for Wizards fans. It's a huge win for the organization from a PR standpoint, along with, of course, getting that extra year, as you noted. But uh, I was a little surprised. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah, I think I saw a couple of reports. I think that Fred Katz and uh, David Aldridge over at our site, The Athletic, uh, mentioned that uh, this is kind of a... A sign that he is buying into what Tommy Shepard is building. Uh, This is an entirely new front office. Obviously, they got some publicity for the new structure of their front office. So basically, this is Bradley Beal being like, I like the direction this is going. My thing, again, like it it does just keep coming back to the idea of where we think this organization is long term and where Bradley Beal uh, wants to be long term because... It's not like this extension necessarily uh negates a trade. Uh Beal can't be traded the rest of this year, correct? Uh just to confirm that because you know the CBA about as well as I do, maybe a little bit better. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he can't be traded for obviously 6 months and that doesn't that takes you past the trade deadline. So it's, it's right. not like the next league year, but he he can be traded like the draft, for example. It's just after the Wizards finish their regular season.
0: Right. So Essentially, the Wizards are getting an extra summer of being able to potentially shop Bradley Beal for uh, while he still has two years left on his contract. I would imagine that next summer, just given the way that the free agency class is, given the flexibility that teams will have in terms of the cap and actually may not have in terms of the cap, I would venture Bradley Beal is probably going to be the most attractive player on the market. Outside of potentially Anthony Davis or Giannis Antetokounmpo, if Milwaukee somehow like falls off of a cliff, um, I'm assuming though that he is going to be number two behind Anthony Davis.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think another factor is you're looking at the realistic trade targets and some of the teams that they deal with in theory. We talked about this on one of the previous podcasts. Teams like Denver and Boston potentially with that Memphis pick and Denver with Michael Porter, and what do you need with those two? You kind of want to see how they play out, like how bad is Memphis this year, and you get time to assess that. You get time to assess Michael Porter potentially getting healthier and how well he plays too, so if you look at current iterations of deals, what trade is really moving the needle right now during like the next you know five or six months i don't think brandon ingram is doing that
0: yeah i would agree um another thing that i got pitched on this idea was that like bradley beal is trying to lock in at a higher number in case the salary cap dips By like 15% or 10% in light of the um, issues that are happening uh, across the NBA in regard to the situation with China. Um, China is obviously a large driver in terms of financial implications for the NBA long term. Uh, Certainly the NBA is counting on growth internationally in a way that other sports leagues do not uh, in regard to the raising of revenue. And obviously the salary cap rises and falls based off of uh, how much basketball related income that the league brings in. So on some level, locking yourself in at this number is not the worst idea to me uh, at all. Uh, I think that you can make a very real case for doing this if you're Bradley Beal and like I'm not going to sit here and say that Bradley shouldn't have taken the money like get your money whatever you want to do but I just am still surprised based off of Bradley's previous comments you know
1: yeah I agree and of course getting that player option in 2022 to opt out and then have that 10-year super max essentially available yep. to him that is you know, big in this negotiation as well, as far as the longevity of the contract. So I'm just most surprised again by, I guess, committing to the Wizards. And like you said, maybe it is the new front office and he really believes in some of the steps. I I haven't been as convinced. I mean, rewarding Thomas Bryant with a three-year contract for his work ethic. I I think that does set good precedent for the team, but I wasn't a fan of the Rui pick where they picked him. But maybe Bradley Beal has seen, he's obviously seen much more of the inner workings and maybe he just feels better about the trajectory there.
0: No, I mean, like the game that I've been playing on a couple podcasts that I've been on and a couple of um, just conversations I've had with media members, people around the league, etc. is like, who is Washington's third best player this year? Um, I think the answer is probably like Ish Smith or Thomas Bryant, depending on which one of those two you think is the second best player. And that is not ideal because Ish Smith <laughs> is like a seventh man, eighth man. Um, Thomas Bryant, I think, is probably something like the thirty to 40th best center in the NBA. Um, I mean, like, maybe you're betting highly on Rui, which, uh, you know, you're lower on Rui than I am, but uh, they still took a guy that I think I ranked 17th or 18th on my final big board at number nine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very skeptical. I remain very, very skeptical of this entire thing.
1: Yeah, I think actually for me, maybe Davis Bertans is their second best player, which again, not yeah. super great. But you at least know he can shoot threes at volume. Pretty smart player. So, I, yeah, it's I don't know. Like Brad Beal is great. He's a great player. No question there. But he's not the kind of floor raiser, an initiator or something that just you run all your offense through that that heightens this team to like the seventh or eighth worst team in the league. Like, I think they're pretty squarely in the bottom five.
0: Well, and with Beal, I I mean, that just lowers his efficiency because part of what makes Brad as good as he is, is the ability to play off ball and the ability to play next to a guy that is ball dominant. Uh, It's not that Bradley can't handle the ball. He's very, very good as a initiator. But I would guess that he's going to have to do that an awful lot this year. While being surrounded by guys like Ish Smith, Dobbs Burton's, who's a very good shooter as you mentioned, but Rui, Troy Brown, um, Jan Mahin, me, if you told me like Jordan McRae and Isaac Bonga and Admiral Schofield were getting like real minutes for this team, like I would <laughs> buy that. Um, but they're not going to have much spacing for be able to really get what he wants uh, in terms of getting into the paint and getting efficient shots at the basket. Uh, I think teams are just going to collapse on him. So he's an incredible shooter and he can create that shot whenever he wants. I I do just wonder what he looks like on this team this year uh, when they are just completely bereft of NBA starting caliber talent.
1: Yeah, on both sides of the floor, really. I think defensively yeah. they're really going to struggle. Their front court defensively not good, you know, Ish being the size that he is. I just don't see a, a recipe for them. still
0: figuring out defense. I mean, Bertans yeah. is, you know, not the best defender. Uh, if C.J. Miles gets healthy, he can at least execute a scheme just because he's a vet- veteran and he's experienced, but... I don't feel great about CJ miles in his thirties defending Um, Mo Wagner, I think was the worst defender I watched in the NBA last year. That's genuinely not an exaggeration. I mean that when I say it, he was a disaster for the Lakers. Like Isaiah Thomas is going to get minutes at some point here for them, just because realistically they need someone to play point guard other than ish Smith. So it's yeah, this has a real chance To be a bottom five defense and a bottom five offense in the NBA, I think.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: So um, in regard to just Washington and the way that they're building, this is an unmitigated win. Uh, Tommy Shepard, this is a huge moment for him, obviously, uh, to be able to get Bradley Beal under another year of contract value. Just not enough can be said. There were a lot of people around the NBA that I spoke with that were super happy that Shepard got this job, obviously. Uh, and, and this is a huge win for him. Like I said, this is a big moment for uh, the Wizards organization. And, yeah, I think that at least for this year, the Bradley Beal trade rumors are done and they can just focus on basketball and trying to get better. And we'll see what they can do. But yeah. Uh, You know, whenever you have 70 million tied up in John Wall and Bradley Beal, it's going to really hamper the way that you're building your organization.
1: Definitely a win for Shepard. I will say I don't really take a lot of what teams say publicly at face value. Of course, they're going to say like Bradley Beal's a superstar. Like we're going to build around him. The actual odds that they build a contender around Beal in his prime are astronomically low. They would have to really hit on the next draft pick. They would have to swing a trade for another star. Likely John Wall would have to return to peak form. And even then, it's, it's pretty suspect. So I, get, un- I understand them saying that. But I think to them, at least eventually, the best move is going to be trying to trade Bradley Beal for a high value asset that has a chance to be a difference maker.
0: Yeah, basically what I've been told the whole way uh, in regard to Beal is even if this extension didn't get done, um, they're not listening to offers for Beal. Like they were not listening to offers for him, period, Yeah. full stop. Like they had no desire to engage in even potential trade discussions for Bradley Beal. So um, maybe they knew that. That's why maybe they felt pretty good about the fact that they could get the extra year and give themselves more time. But I I think that's ultimately what this deal does, is it just gives them more time to be able to figure out how they want to build uh, this organization. And uh, again, actually gives them continued value with Bradley Beal because they can go into next summer and trade Uh, one of the top 20 players in the NBA with two years left on his contract.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the way to go about this. I don't think Bradley Beal is the caliber of star. He's not going to become a top five difference maker, like a guy who gets you to the finals, for example. He's not that transformative level of player. So if he was that guy, if he was Giannis, I would understand their mindset. Like, we're not listening to offers. We have two years left. I, I just think the process is a little flawed, but this was obviously a big win.
0: Yeah, And this will be the last thing I say before we move on. Um, I do think Bradley Beal has a real chance, though, if he gets into the right situation, to be the absolute best, like, number two guy in the NBA. Um, His ability to play off of a superstar, space the floor, create as a secondary playmaker, um, solid defender. I wouldn't say he's, like, an elite defender by any stretch, but he knows where to be. He does a pretty good job against his man. Um, This is a guy that I think genuinely at some point in his career is probably going to be a absolutely monstrous number 2.
1: Yeah, I think he can be a legitimate number 2. I wouldn't say the best. Like I th- I think Paul George is a better number 2 than he is. Just much better defensively, gives you a lot of the shot making ability. Not as good creating for others clearly, but yeah, I think he can be in that general range. It depends on who the number 1 is. That's always the question is how good is your 1 because there's only a handful of real number 1s. Otherwise you need like multiple high level number 2s. I'm not sure if Beal is in that high level number two if you don't have a, a true number one
0: right but in two or three years when Paul George is 32 years old and Bradley yes. Beal is still 28 or 29 you're probably going to want Bradley Beal at this stage that is fair. like at that stage um so yeah that's what I mean whenever I say that like Paul George is obviously better like Anthony Davis is the number two guy and Los Angeles is obviously going to be better but as these guys age not necessarily Anthony but you know LeBron will obviously continue to age um yeah I-, I think that you're going to really I think Beale is a shot to be the guy that you really want to try and acquire and be that number two as you're trying to build for a title. Like if you're Milwaukee, like sell the entire farm to get Bradley Beal uh <laughs> next summer. But let's it's probably not fair to talk about trades with Bradley Beal now just because uh Washington now literally can't trade him for six months. So this is an unmitigated win for the Wizards. Uh great job by Tommy Shepard. Let's move on real quick to another kind of strange Roster situation that, you know, very few teams around the league actually have to deal with because Golden State this year is hard capped at the apron and their salary structure is basically right up against it right now. The reason that they are hard capped is because they brought in a player in a sign-in trade, obviously D'Angelo Russell, in the corresponding move along with Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn. Um, Basically, what the team has decided to do is... Wave Alfonso McKinney, uh, you know, six foot eight wing, you know, kind of a guy who can move up and down the lineup a little bit in order to keep Marquise Chris, who has had a standout preseason. Um, I actually went back and like, I've not watched a ton of preseason just because again, I've been stuck watching tape from like the last few years of basketball uh, to do this big prospect project that I'm working on. But I went back and watched like a good amount of Marquise Chris tape, and he looks a lot better than he has looked over the course of his career in Phoenix, in Houston, uh, with the Cavs for a stretch last year. Um, I'm still pretty skeptical of this move. Chris unquestionably had a better preseason than Alfonso McKinney, but if I was the Warriors, I would probably rather have the roster and lineup flexibility that someone like McKinney provides versus... A Marquise Chris, who is a center, when you already have Draymond Green, who will steal minutes at center. Uh, Willie Colley stein who's hurt, obviously, and I would imagine that that plays a role in why they do this. Kevon Looney, Amari Spellman, you have Smiley Geech on the roster still. Um, it, it's just a... You you have five guys that can play center now, and I don't know that I love that in terms of roster construction when you basically have to have fourteen guys on your roster the whole year.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And Pascal, you can add he's more of a four in the modern game, not as much a three, even though he's probably gonna have to play there right. maybe if he if he does get minutes. You know, you have Alec Burks, you have Glenn Robinson, that's a lot to put on those two players. I I think as far as wing depth goes. McKinney's not you know great by any means like he was a huge liability no. at the highest levels of play but as far as regular season versatility and just getting bodies on the floor that's going to be the biggest thing for the warriors this year is attrition and just being able to put enough lineups and rotations out there that you don't really stress the primaries too much i mean you they're going to be stressed to a certain extent but you want to at least get some kind of veteran depth on the court and that's going to be tougher now without him
0: yeah I agree with you. I mean, McKinney is not a difference maker by any stretch of the imagination. He's a guy that you can put out there for 12 minutes and he'll eat those 12 minutes pretty competently. Like he will mostly know where to be defensively. Like he gets a little bit lost sometimes on defense. uh, But he's a pretty good rebounder. Um, Can shoot it a little bit, even though the jump shot kind of waxes and wanes. The big thing for me, though, is that you can guard him on multiple different player types like he has pretty big bodies six foot eight 220 pounds if you need to throw him on a four you can throw him on a four if you need him to guard a two man and kind of chase him around a little bit he's not great at it but you can do it ultimately i think a lot of this does come down to what you think marquise chris is i am not someone that is a believer i've never been a believer in marquise chris Uh, i just don't love the feel for the game um again he's looked good in the preseason though um, he can rim run uh, he can obviously potentially pick and pop a little bit he's been more active defensively but obviously the big thing with him has always been fouls and um, just rotationally ending up out of position regularly and i worry that as we get into the regular season and teams are now playing their best players 30 minutes a night and their second best players you know 25 minutes a night right or they Second lineup, 20 minutes a night if they need to, like instead of Chris going up against higher level guys that aren't playing like super hard or lower level guys that are playing super hard. I I just wonder what he's going to look like when he has to be more technically sound uh, in the regular season.
1: Yeah, I share the same issues. I've always been there as far as his general feel level. I know Draymond came out and was like, you know, you have to blame the situation sometimes, like with the Suns, for example. I do think that's true. I think when we analyze players too much the emphasis usually goes on the player and not the developmental situation where player development is probably the single most important component of all of this. Um, in my opinion, I mean, you have to draft the talent. Clearly, that's most—that's probably the most important. But I think that's the most undersold as player development. But I think that Chris was even, there were a ton of problems even at University of Washington. I mean, this guy wasn't an ironclad prospect by any means. I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's yeah. in this situation. I love players like this going to a situation where you're going to be able to have, you know, Draymond instructing you. That's only going to help him but yeah from a positional value standpoint with this roster specifically like Spellman for example adding him like I, I just don't know where that role is compared to someone you already know that can give you at least a semblance of competence in the regular season as far as depth on the wing
0: if you were the Warriors, would you have rather tried to do something like get rid of Amari Spellman and add a second round pick, even though you already added a second round pick to acquire Amari Spellman in the first place um, to get off of the Damian Jones money and clear $400,000 in the process? Like if I was the Warriors, I would have basically tried to and they may have tried to do this. So it wouldn't surprise me. I would have tried to have attached a second round pick to Amari Spellman ship him out somewhere, keep Marquise Chris in Spellman's place, and then also be able to maintain uh, Alfonso McKinney on the roster and maintain your roster balance. Um, Maybe they tried to do that. Uh, Maybe that was something that they went down the road of and couldn't do it. But that's that's what I would have preferred to have seen them do. Um, And, you know, essentially you're buying a second round pick for $2 million and they go for much more than that now.
1: Yep, pretty much. I don't really have too much more to add to this. I I think, again, happy for Chris. I'm pretty dubious on the value here. And like he's not going to you're not going to if you have to depend on Marquise Chris in the playoffs. I I think that's going to be a problem as far as all of the IQ and how the Warriors work. I I do think he's going to get some credit for his preseason play as far as like these between the legs passes to Steph. And that was really good to see. Honestly, who knows how much of that is really rehearsed? Does it really matter? I'm just not a believer in his basketball instinct. So I hope he proves me wrong.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna move to preseason stuff first, or do you want to do an ad?
1: Let's do let's do Zion really quick, and then let's do an ad.
0: Okay, so Zion Williamson has had a dominant preseason. Uh, probably the best like stretch of three preseason games to start a career that has happened in my lifetime. Like, would you would you say that's right for a rookie?
1: I will say offensively. Yes, his numbers are just absolutely, his finishing numbers are stupid. It's unprecedented what he's done on that end.
0: Yeah, I don't really care about the defense in preseason. I, <laughs> I just don't. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, uh, Especially for a guy that's a rookie and is going to explore the studio space uh, pretty regularly as it is. Uh, Zion's going to have to figure his shit out on defense a little bit just because he can get very, uh, very scrambly often where he'll just like go way out of position to try and create a play and it will create a drastic scramble situation for the defense that he's on in NBA spacing. Like that would happen at Duke regularly. And in NBA spacing, uh, it's only going to get worse because those scramble situations are harder to cover for. Uh, But the bigger issue for Zion is that his knee, uh, his right knee apparently has an injury that seems I don't know. I mean, it's it's not serious, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. But he is going to miss weeks, not days, uh, according to that tweet. So where are you at on the Zion Williamson experience, given that this was probably the number one concern that people had for Zion entering the draft? is just how does this dude, with this level of explosiveness, weight, power, and just like it's it's just totally new we've never seen something like this before so how does this guy stay healthy
1: yeah this was absolutely the number one concern for both of us and i would assume most of the league like you get a lot of shooting issues and yes sure like he's gonna have to shoot maybe he has to shoot who knows but that wasn't the number one concern the number one concern was the amount of force that he puts on his body with how violently he plays how hard he plays it's kind of like blake griffin almost but to an even more extreme extent early career blake griffin as far as just this Speed to power, incredible explosion. But the force again, when you're carrying 280 pounds and you can jump, you know, 44 inches off the ground and you land, it's just like that repeated motion and how much strain he puts on his body is something that has to be looked out for. And the Pelicans obviously knew this. I, I, I like the fact that they are being careful with him you you obviously have to do that but I would again we talked about in the pre-draft process ultimately you'd like to get Zion to lose a little bit of weight you'd like to get him trimmed down and to to better his long-term health I think that's the most important thing for him
0: yeah totally agree Um, in regard to his play this preseason I've been just ridiculously impressed with how easy it has been for him to get wherever the fuck he wants on the floor like it it just does not matter that hop step that we talked about as being his special signature skill coming into the draft yeah it's no nba player has figured out how to defend it yet and i do not know how they're gonna figure out how to defend it
1: i love what the pelicans were doing with him getting him getting him downhill off the ball so there's a lot of like oh how how is he gonna score if he's off the ball it's like oh maybe you sent like a pin down curl and he curls off towards the rim and he gets downhill and you're totally fucked that's probably how and And you start him on the right right side
0: start him on the right side of the floor all the time get him going left get him onto that strong hand and it's just yeah he's a freight train
1: yeah and it, like people were of course chasing him over the top of screens which is what you don't want to do you don't want to give him an advantage situation and getting him into gaps and i, I just i like the pelicans attack overall getting him into space making him a space player when he has a crease to the rim you're screwed like he made gobert look like jv on certain place he was just running right through him and like you can't handle his level of power guys aren't used to his level of quickness even like ben simmons is very fast line speed but nowhere near as explosive strong through contact as Zion is like just nobody has played against somebody like this.
0: Yeah, man. I hope he stays healthy. Like it is. He is so genuinely special. Like we saw some flashes of the passing instincts as well in the preseason. Uh, Just the way that he goes up through dudes. Like he caused so many issues for Rudy Gobert in that Utah game just by like spacing him out to 18 feet and then his first step is just so much faster than Rudy. I love the fact that the Pelicans already are playing him at the five. They're not doing any of this like, uh, yeah, we want to like limit his, <laughs> uh, you know, the wear and tear on his body. They're like, no, this dude's best position is the five. We're gonna play him at the five and they're not going to do it all the time. They're going to play centers, and you know they just drafted Jackson Hayes in the top 10, so Jackson Hayes is going to be a piece for them long-term, next to Zion, we would think. But I love the fact that they're already just deciding that Zion Williamson is a matchup nightmare against fives. We've seen it against the best defensive player in the NBA already in the preseason. He scored like eight points on five possessions or something. He he was up against them. It was a masterclass, I thought, in terms of utilizing Zion and in terms of just Zion's translation to the league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean he's a generational talent. We were saying that before the draft. I think people are starting to figure that out if they haven't already, the more of the NBA only guys and like the casual fans. When you watch him play, there's nobody like him. Like throw the Julius Randall bullshit way out of here. This is someone we have not seen in this exact form before. And I only point out the defense because I don't want to come down and be like, This guy's been perfect. His defense has been trash. And it's a lot of it's been effort. He, the game is moving fast for him, I think, and that's to be expected. Yeah. And he's gonna be good on defense. That's the thing, is like you haven't really even seen the full arsenal, near the full arsenal with him because I think he's going to eventually be an impact defender, but him at the five is one of those things that comes to the NBA that can legitimately change the landscape. Not only him as a player, but him and how, as far as how he's utilized, especially in the playoffs as a five, I think that has a chance to really just alter the course of the league.
0: So one of my most interesting questions in the NBA this year is, do we think the Pelicans can actually make a playoff run? Um, I think that Zion would need to play probably 70 games for that to happen. Uh, otherwise like I just don't know if they have enough talent in the West, in the East, they would be like the five seed probably. Um, but in yep. the West, it's going to be really, really tough for them. I think if Zion doesn't play You know, at least 70 games, where do you fall on the idea of the Pelicans making the playoffs this year?
1: I mean, I'm open to it. They're in the same tier. I have kind of a general tier right now outside of the top eight. I have Dallas kind of near the top. It's all confidence interval. So I think I would actually favor the Pelicans over the Kings. I know you're a little bit higher on Sacramento, but they're all the same tier for me. I think that they something has to happen to one of the elite teams. There has to be some kind of injury, I think, to vault them up. But I do think they have a chance to make the playoffs. I don't know if it's great, but they're in that tier for me.
0: Yeah, like I've got like a seven-team tier, basically, where you're looking at teams like the two Los Angeles teams, Denver, Utah, Houston as the top five for sure. Uh, And then you've got Portland, who I think is like kind of on an island like on its own. Right. Just because I think that we all want to just believe in Damian Lillard because he's given us every indication to believe in Damian Lillard. Right. Um, Yeah. And then we've also got teams like uh, Golden State, who again, much like the, Trailblazers, you just want to believe in their superstars, figuring it out. And then after those seven, we've got that big group, right? Of San Antonio, Dallas, Oklahoma City, I think is going to be really competent. Uh, I think the Timberwolves offseason went like a little bit underrated too. They now just have like ten competent dudes. Uh, like Jake Lehman is pretty good at basketball. Um, you know, Jordan Bell is going to be a really nice fit potentially with Carl Towns in like athletic lineups. Noah Vonley is probably the best backup center in the NBA. Like there are just so many little, uh, little moves that Minnesota made that makes me think that they're going to really compete. And then you get to that group of the Kings, the Pelicans and Dallas. And those are the three teams that have the star power. Like the Kings have De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, the Pelicans have Zion and Drew Holiday and all of the great uh, players that they acquired this summer. And then Dallas obviously has Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis. And I don't really know what to make of these groups yet. Like, I think that uh, one of those teams is going to make the playoffs, and I, I don't know which one it's going to be.
1: Yeah, for me again, it comes down to injury. I have the, the Spurs a little bit higher than you do. I just think there's some like there's is some value in just knowing how to win games in the regular season, and nobody does that better than the Spurs as far as maximizing their yeah. roster talent. So I just believe in them a little bit more. I, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Some people have them in the same tier as the Pelicans. I, I wouldn't fault that at all. I, I'm I have a little bit more confidence in them. And with the Blazers, like I understand, I don't really like their roster construction that much. Just being honest, as far as like their depth, like having to rely on guys like Hazonia. they don't have their wing as far as wing defense anymore getting rid of Harkless and Aminu for example and there's a lot of strain on the backcourt I I don't love Whiteside for you know at least a little bit of the season as far as a starter there playing Zach Collins at the four there's a little bit more turnover there than I think they're getting credit for but I just can't bet against that culture Stotts is again one of those coaches that has a very established way of playing in the regular season and you have the star power with Dame and then CJ so I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt a tier ahead but I do think they could be the team that falls out of this i think zach lowe wrote about this today and he pointed out that they would you know they're more likely to make a trade than some of these teams so that would factor in as well they have some ammunition there but the west at the bottom i can see arguments for i feel pretty confident right now relatively confident in in the spurs and then the blazers being the seventh and eighth but if there's injuries to these teams like if golden state incurs an injury to stafford draymond like some of these teams that are just outside could break in
0: yeah no i think that's all Basically right. Uh, you know what? Like there are going to be injuries. We we never account for injuries in things like this, and I think it's something like I, don't, I almost want to say that like it's between fifty-five and sixty percent of all totals uh, in terms of like preseason content. Either uh, player props or team props go under just because these things tend not to account for injuries, and injuries happen and throw off the whack of things. Um, it's always going to happen and we're just going to have to see where these injuries come and it's impossible to figure out where they're going to come from now. So, uh, Cole, we are not, uh, betting on basketball unless we're betting on the bulls, making the playoffs, which, uh, that might be a thing that I'm doing. Uh, but football is back and we are probably betting on football or at least I am. Um, it's week seven of the regular season in the NFL, and I'm really excited. Uh, you can get in the la- get in the game by going to betonline.ag. You can bet on. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser. Uh, You can bet on who the first starting quarterback to get benched is. Uh, I believe that that happened this week with Ryan Tannehill. Or no, I guess it happened with Eli Manning. You can bet on um, who's going to win the Heisman Trophy. You can get the fastest odds updates and payouts with uh, betonline.ag head on over there or use your mobile device to join today and use the promo code CLNS50 and get your 50% welcome bonus Uh, a minimum deposit of $55 is required to qualify for this bonus Uh, please go to betonline.ag um Bet online. Uh, it, it's a great place to place bets, and as someone who does bet on football, especially on the NFL now this year, regularly, uh, it's certainly a certainly a terrific, terrific company. So go to BetOnline.ag. Use that promo code CLNS fifty. All right, let's talk about some other preseason things we wanted to bounce around real quick. Uh, I want to talk about Tyler Hero just being like the best. Uh, he, there, there's just <laughs> not really another way to put it. Like he is just the most fun human being to watch play basketball right now outside of zion williamson in this rookie class like he is just knocking down shots and talking shit to everyone in his path and he's averaging like 16 points a game in the preseason shooting like 50 percent. he is the most fun human
1: He's definitely fun, and he's been really effective, honestly. I I think he's surprising some people just playing outside of the construct of Kentucky where you see a little bit more of the playmaking, like he has played more in pick and roll. has made some pretty fundamental reads that that are pretty legit. I think he's always been capable of that. You're just kind of seeing it play out more on the floor. Excellent situation for him. I love that fit in Miami next to Butler, next to Winslow. I think he's going to be insulated at times defensively, which is good. But uh, the shot-making... He's been really he's made shots. He's got the best touch in the class to me. I'm not really surprised by really anything that I've seen plays with a ton of confidence and aggression. And that's something that a lot of rookies don't have right out of the gate is that ability to just believe that you are you belong on the floor in an NBA game and playing with that kind of assertiveness. And we're seeing that stand out with guys like Hero and Nikhil.
0: Yeah, the assertiveness, I think, is such a critical thing. You're going to go through uh, ups and downs as a rookie in the NBA and how you react to it ends up playing such a pivotal role in how successful you're going to be. It is just absolutely so much fun to watch this dude who is 19 years old still step in with the most confidence and just be like, I'm going to score on you. There is nothing you can do about it. Fuck you. Uh, And... You know, that's it. Like, it's just what he believes. Like, he fights (laughs) on defense. He is someone that feels like every single shot's going in. He's not afraid to let you know that every single shot's going to go in, even when he misses the shot. Like, he is just a super, super fun player. And I am thrilled to see where this goes. I have no idea where it's going to go but I'm thrilled to see where it goes
1: (laughs) yeah he's gonna get legitimate minutes he might start for them honestly this year I don't really know how they're gonna formulate their rotation but he's gonna get legitimate minutes for them and they really do need his shooting Seen some you know pick and roll pull up ability a little bit of off movement action he's done most of his damage honestly from the perimeter like he's gotten to the rim in preseason I think twice outside of last night and both of them were against the Hawks because the Hawks have the most trash interior defense probably in the league Um, so I'm a little worried about his ability to get to his spots at times he does have incredible touch though and that's why I was higher on him i had him like 13 on my board just because i felt like he had enough of that intermediate game with the runners and kind of like the trick shots to shoot over the top of guys and, he, and he's really showcased all that
0: yeah uh The Bulls? You wanted to talk about the Bulls. I have not watched any Bulls preseason stuff yet, so uh, I will give you the floor on them.
1: Yeah, I just, they're actually fun to watch, and this is coming from someone where I forced myself to watch them last year because of Wendell, and I hated every second of it. And this preseason, you see the influence of Sadoransky in their starting lineup, his decision-making, the passing, and just the general shooting ability, the two things that Chris Dunn historically have been the worst at as far as shooting and decision-making. Huge upgrade there. The progression of some of the other players, seeing Otto Port in this system for another year. I just think they have a really strong starting five. I love Thad Young. I mean, we talked about him as like a fringe all-defense guy last year. So adding his veteran presence who can play next to both Wendell and Lowry off the bench. Kobe White, I I was never worried about the shot. Um, He shot the ball much better. A little bit streaky. When he was going, I think it was last night, he hit like six threes or something. I think he's going to be legitimate, change of pace guard off the bench this year as far as pushing the pace, hitting some threes. I just like how their team's constructed. And and we talked about this off, there and obviously you just mentioned it with the gambling um, piece. I, I do think that they have an outside shot to make the playoffs if some things break down in the East, I would say they are the favorite to be like the ninth seed and move their way up and if things go really right for them, I think they have the chance to make it outright. They're just, they're really underrated. I think they've changed in a lot of ways the perception of them from last year to this year with like boiling and stuff. They're shooting more threes in the preseason. I think they're going to surprise some people.
0: Plus 270 to make the playoffs, folks. Plus <laughs> 270. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's good. Speaking
0: of making like a million threes, Carson Edwards is God.
1: I love Carson Edwards.
0: Like, I think you and I had Carson Edwards. We were, like, among the few people who had Carson Edwards is, like, very clear first round pick. Like, right around, like, 20-ish on our boards, right? Like, something like that.
1: I I got a little crazy. I put him at 14 just because I was like, "I I can't really, like, for me, you have to be able to explain things on your board. And I, like, I can't make a huge difference between, like, him and Kobe White. Like, there are differences in their games, but as far as value, like, Carson can do a lot of the same things Kobe White can do. And, frankly, he can do some things better.
0: Yeah, like, shoot on the move. Carson Edwards <laughs> is an unbelievable shooter on the move. He like can run off the screens. He can pull up. He can pull up from 30 feet. Like Carson Edwards is the most fun. Boston fans are going to love him. Um, I am thrilled to watch him go off for eight threes in a quarter at some point this year. <laughs> it was that game
1: in the preseason. It was just incredible to watch in the third quarter. You're yeah. just like, holy shit. This is like the Virginia game all over again. Where you just he made
0: eight threes off. in five minutes. <laughs>
1: it's incredible. And they were like, some of them were hard, dude. They were like hard pull up, like 30 plus foot threes off movement quickly. He really does move well off the ball though. That's something that like, is an IQ thing that I think he understands how to get open. And he had the ball a lot at Purdue. We did see him run off screens a good amount, but I do think his basketball intelligence, not a good passer in in that respect. But as far as finding openings on the floor, I think he's pretty good there.
0: Um. So Michael Porter jr. We're finally getting to see him on an NBA court, which is great. Uh, I have not watched a full Denver game. I've gone back and watched like Michael Porter's minutes in two Denver games. What has been your impression of Porter so far?
1: I mean, I'm working from a very low bar from the last time we watched him in college. Remember the uh, Florida State game where he was just he couldn 't move. he looked like he was a forty year old on the court as far as he was so inflexible, very, very stiff in his movements, just could not sink down into a stance, had no speed whatsoever so it 's just good to see him more back towards the prospect iteration, you know playing close to me in high school where I lived. Um, I just like to see that I'm not going to read too much. Like, of course he's a difficult shot maker. He's made some good pull up threes. I think he's had one really nice drive where he's able to get a little bit lower, get all the way to the rim. So for me, I just wanted to see the athleticism and like the somewhat of the fluidity. He's still a little stiff as far as an athlete, but he's much more the prospect iteration. And that is really, really good to see.
0: Yeah, totally agree. The flexibility is there. Uh, defensively, I do think he's been out of position just a little bit too much. Uh, a lot of the writers in Denver have noticed uh, that they feel like his energy level is really good, and I do agree with that. Um, yeah, like I actually think that he is making a real concerted effort on defense, which is something that, like, I mean, we we just haven't seen him do really, even like at prospect levels. Like, he was just not a guy that really did it that often. Um, so I like the fact that he is giving a shit on defense. I just do think there's going to be a learning curve in terms of like being in the right position rotationally uh, knowing what people mean when they communicate like on the backside with you and trying to like uh, get you in the right spot. Uh, it's, it's just going to take time and that's fine. But uh, I am, I don't know that I would say optimistic on his defense, but I just like that he gives a shit on defense.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the starting point is more of that care factor that, you know, the reads haven't been great. As far as rotational awareness, that was to be expected. Like this guy was not a good defender at lower levels. Like maybe in like high school, he showed some flashes of rotational awareness as like the backline defender. I think he can do that stuff okay, but that's going to be more of a work in progress. I'm most fascinated to see how this guy gets on the floor this year and what capacity and what role, what position, playing next to who. You know the Nuggets are going to start Millsap at the four, probably Will Barton at the three. You have Jeremy Grant, who was a really good addition for them. You want to align some minutes with him and Jokic. You have Mason Plumlee as the backup five. Are you going to play? Porter, you know, with the backup three instead of tory Craig, for example, where are you going to move him around? How is he going to get minutes consistently? That's probably one of the most fascinating storylines to me this year.
0: Yeah, it's weird just because, like, Michael Porter in a one on one game probably beats Torrey Craig, what, like 11 to 3 or something? It would be murder. Yeah. yeah. But for this specific Denver team, Torrey Craig's, I don't think he's maybe like more valuable than Michael, but there's like a very real case. To play Tory Craig in lineups with like Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, uh, Jeremy Grant, and Nikola Jokic, right? Just because while Grant is a good defender and is athletic and uh, tidies up for people's messes, there are also just a lot of defensive holes to cover up for because the backcourt Jamal's not a great defender and Gary, he is like a good defender, but is smaller. Like he is six foot three. Um, and then Nikola Jokic, obviously I think gets underrated defensively just because he is always in the right spot. It's just also that like, he's limited on that end. Um, having Tory Craig out there does really help them just organize their lineups defensively in a way that I'm not sure that uh, having other guys out there does.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he's kind of like their big wing defender. Frankly, on this roster, like Barton's not going to be doing that. Like you have to rely kind of on Harris to do a lot of that, and he's on the shorter end. So I, I think that you know Torrey Craig has a role to play on this team. There's just a, there's some trade-offs on this roster. A lot of people think Michael Porter's a straight four or even a five. I tend to think more of a four. Um, but yeah, I, think I, I agree
0: with you I think he's a four
1: yeah ideally I think that's his, his right position and honestly that's one of Denver's deeper positions with Millsap who I still think is a very good player he executes the scheme defensively especially incredibly well I'm really high on Jeremy Grant I thought he was actually really underrated in the playoffs last year for Oklahoma yep. City as far as he can he can knock down catch and shoots and defensively they have not had somebody like this before that I've seen as far as a guy who can really cover ground has great range has the length of block shots can switch on the perimeter he can switch everything I think jamal murray was quoted saying that like whenever he sees jeremy grant coming around on defense he just switches because he knows that he can that grant can hold up against basically anybody so i just think that michael porter's road there's gonna be a lot of people who are like this guy's a star right we've heard that so many times he might end up being that but i don't think he's gonna jump into the situation and just be like a dynamic rotation player right away i think people have to temper their expectations a little bit
0: especially early this year i think for sure um all right So let's uh, let's do you want to talk about Dallas real quick? I have not watched any of Dallas preseason, but I know that you wanted to just quickly mention them.
1: Yeah, I just I think that they're getting a pretty strong push to be like the eighth seed from the West. And I think there's a lot of foundation to that, like just watching them. They do have a clear style of play of how they want to execute. You know, Chris Stapps is going to be able to shoot above the break threes at volume. Hasn't even been making them at a good clip yet, but I think that's going to come. Obviously, his rim protection is huge. They haven't played Dwight Powell yet, who's critical to their rotation as far as his dive gravity. I'm pretty high on Kleba, but you even had guys like Kevin Pelton say they watched him. I think he watched the Clippers game last night and said that. this team is going to make the playoffs. I can see it. I just want to note that I think there's a lot of trade-offs on this roster as far as who they start. Like, Dalon Wright's going to start at the one. They need his ability to guard point guards. But not the best off the catch shooter, even though he's improved some. That's going to be critical for him this year: is knocking down catch and shoot threes and being able to initiate at least some offense. What do they do with the three? You know, Justin Jackson, the better shooter, but not good on defense. Really, his struggle getting around screens to me in the preseason. But Dorian Finney-Smith, they've played mostly at the four, and he just can't make anything off the catch um, from three. So I I don't know if this roster is complete enough. Like I like Seth Curry off the bench. Uh, again, I love Klebo. If he starts, if he comes off the bench, he's going to be critical. Best team to. Defender on the roster, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I do think it's going to have to take a at least a mini leap from Luca to do that, and he looks a little quicker this year. He has lost some weight, you know. His acceleration has been a little bit better. He had the corner on Kawhi. He just beat Kawhi clean off the ball last night he could have dro- driven all the way to the rim i would like to see him use his his kind of shoulder to keep quiet bay he ended up taking like this fadeaway jumper and he made it but uh he looks a little bit better as far as his change of pace which is great to see and uh he actually stuck with quite pretty well on defense last night too but uh i, I th- do think it takes a little bit of a leap from luca to for them to be the seed. but i definitely think it's possible
0: yeah i'm interested to watch them this year um I don't have any takes beyond that, so let's just move <laughs> on. We're, we're going to have two uh, recurring, t- recurring segments. For the first time, the podcast will have segments this year um, in regard to the NBA draft. So the first one we are going to delightfully call Bill Self Rumspringa, and it will refer to my newfound fandom of the Kansas Jayhawks after they decided to – Release a video with Bill Self wearing a massive Adidas logo, uh, while wearing a uh, while going to like a record store and introducing Snoop Dogg uh, coming to Fog Allen for their Midnight Madness event, and then them having their Midnight Madness event with Snoop Dogg uh, having pole dancers out in the middle of the floor and having Snoop Dogg shoot a money gun right at the players. Uh, it's just the best thing in the world. I don't think Bill Self knew, uh, about the stuff that happened or like had any idea of what was going to happen, uh, during the Snoop Dogg performance. I will say that and give Bill Self the benefit of the doubt. If only because college basketball coaches most certainly do not know what's going on in terms of like game ops, but, oh man, I am a, I am all in on the Kansas Jayhawks rooting (laughs) for them to win the national title i i want all of the legacy college basketball media folks to just have a fucking meltdown
1: yeah we need friend of the podcast chris stone to be more of a presence this year and now like the, the ultimate J Ox fan. I, I need him to be more vocal on Twitter after this.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I might like just bring on Chris for these like Bill Self Rumspringa, uh segments. I will edit in like 10 minutes of Bill Self Rumspringer with Chris Stone every week because we I am so excited for it. And then our second segment is going to be uh, LaMelo Ball update. And Cole, I know that you have watched LaMelo Ball uh, since we last talked about LaMelo. Where are you at with what you have seen from him in uh, in Australia? I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm getting higher and higher on him. And I already had him three. He probably stays there until I see more from Anthony Edwards. But I I really like him a lot. And he's starting to show more physicality. Like he did that the last game, more interior defense, physicality, really fighting bigs, boxing guys out, making at least an effort to do that, and you know attacking a little bit better downhill, running into bodies. He's been very soft in the first couple of games as far as avoiding contact, not good contact balance, going through strength is a big issue for him. But I do like to see that mentality change. I just love the talent. I, his ball handling, he has so many moves already that he just get underplayed. Like he's a really, really good ball handler, and he's looked faster to me. His burst and his first step have looked better than I expected on this stage. It's, they really pop uh, there's just a lot of things he does we know about the passing as far as the the instincts the iq very good improvisational passer i'd probably say the best in this class frankly like he just sees things a lot before they happen and that's a rare skill that's like a luca trey skill I, i'm really high on him man i'm higher on his defense just because he has the things that you can't teach he makes some great rotations his hands are outstanding he's good get, he gets a lot of steals he's a good playmaker i think most of his Issues on defense or consistency as far as effort, and then the technique is very poor for the most part, but I'm a huge fan.
0: We disagree. Uh, I have been less enthused by Melo uh, than I was during the NBL Blitz. Um, he is shooting 37% from the field right now, including uh, 7% from three. Uh, I believe he has made one out of 13 from three so far. <laughs> uh, shooting is like a very real concern for a mellow i think um even in lithuania like he didn't shoot the ball super well from distance he's always had those funky shot mechanics they certainly look better now but it's still something of a push shot like if Lamelo ball doesn't shoot it at a league average or better clip i think there are very real translation concerns
1: yeah i'm more optimistic on the shooting just because i think he has like Sub elite to elite level touch. And we've seen guys like, even like, I don't want to use Lonzo as an example because very different players, but even we see him tweak his mechanics and put his kind of shot line more central instead of like the flare. I think Melo's already made strides there as far as when you watch him, you know, two years ago. We talked about this on the last podcast, but his elbow was way out. He's gotten that in a little bit more. It still flares for sure. I don't love his mechanics. I don't love his balance. And I think when you talk about his shooting, you have to kind of break it down into what kind of shots are we talking about? With his feeder more set, like off the catch, for example, I think he's fine. Um, These more difficult, high degree of difficulty momentum shots where they're pull-ups off the dribble, those are going to take time, I think, to really harness in. Like, he's not there yet as far as, like, footwork and and balance goes. Like, I found, like, his foundation shooting, like, he'll just, like, kick his leg out at times. Like, he legitimately did a high kick on one of his shots the other day. So I want to see a little bit less input he had one shot in his last game it didn't count because I think it was like a travel or something but he shot it after the, the foul call was made and he had almost no lift on his shot and I thought that looked actually really good people think that you have to like jump really high to shoot and that's not no. the case a lot of the great, best shooters don't have basically any they just rely on upward momentum and I would like to see LaMelo kind of tinker around with that but I'm higher in a shot probably than you just because of philosophical differences with touch and like established three point shooting for
0: example would you rather fix an elbow flare or or fix uh a shot line i would rather fix a shot line i'm just gonna say that i think it's gonna be easier to fix because i think that it is it doesn't totally mess with the rhythm of the jumper necessarily to fix a shot line just moving it over to the right in the case of lonzo or in the case of Jarrett culver for instance um in the case of an elbow flare, I do think that it can mess with the rhythm a little bit, and it's a little bit more of a full-scale, like... I don't want to say it's a rewrite, because Mello has taken steps toward fixing it already, but I think that it's a more substantial concern.
1: I think that's fair. Just, uh, again, with kind of how LaMelo shoots the ball, having his hand over the top of the ball, and how he brings it up, I think it's going to flare a little bit. Usually you see, sometimes, like elbow flares can be associated with not turning your feet and not having that tilt and like angling but he already does that you know what i mean so that's kind of what's always been fascinating about him is sometimes like a guy's like a 10-toe shooter where they're completely facing towards the rim you see that less and less these days but sometimes you're just like oh if you angle that'll get the elbow in so he's not doing that and he already does tilt his feet so i could see that argument again i'm just looking at a guy where i care more about shooting touch than anything else like that's like my number one thing with shooting so if he can iron out some of the little mechanical issues i i think he he has that level of touch where he can be at least an above average shooter but i do agree right now that there's a lot of room to improve
0: yeah a good example of shooting or fixing the feet and pointing them toward an angle in thus fixing an elbow flare zion williamson did it uh recently he created more of a set shot basically and uh basically uh tilts his feet toward a 20 or 45 degree angle sorry i got a phone call um toward a 45 degree angle basically away from the basket um so uh, it's fixable like don't get me wrong like it is doable but yeah like you said like mellow already does a lot of the normal fixes for it so i think that on some level he is gonna have to just like I don't want to say completely reframe the jumper, but like there are real significant mechanical tweaks, such as bringing his hand farther beneath the basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's how Drew Hanlon kind of teaches it. You see a guy like RJ who really jams the ball behind. I mean, jams his hand behind the ball and his wrist to kind of get it cocked already. A lot of guys don't do that. They do more of the rotation. They have, even the ball on the. They have their hand on the side of the ball and kind of rotate it as they bring it up to relieve some tension. I, I think that stuff's really important. But like, I do think that for me now, like seeing so many guys in the league just tweak their mechanics a little bit, and of course Lamelo has to probably do a little bit more than a lot of these players do, and that's kind of the concern point. But I, I look at his touch, and I, I know he has. That um, yeah. he he's show, he's shown that consistently. Like some of the shots he makes, some of the floaters, like guys don't make those shots on the move like he does. So I guess that's what I'm I'm buying that as a rarer skill, and I think that's the one that you can't really teach. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit higher in his shooting.
0: Yeah, and the big skill that he has that he's displayed so far is just the decision making and passing on the ball. He's been exceptional in that regard so far in the NBL. Um, when I say I'm not quite as high on Lamelo, like I think he's a lottery pick versus being you yeah. where I would imagine you have him like in your top five right now. Right.
1: Yeah. He's number three. Of course that's fluid just based on who I've seen. Like I, even guys like Anthony Edwards have to show, they have to prove themselves. Like as far as feel, there's a lot of deciding factors that haven't been played out yet. I've just seen probably like 10, like counting, spire games i've probably seen like 20 plus mellow games so i feel pretty good about him knowing what he needs to improve on and i think most of what he needs to improve on a lot of it is fixable
0: yeah like i've been more impressed with mellow than rj hampton for instance um it's not close to me yeah like i, I think that mellow has been much better than rj hampton so uh we'll see where it goes from here uh yeah. i am excited to watch where Mello continues to kind of fall into place as the season goes on um Let's move on. Let's talk about some prospects now. We're going to talk about wings. We're not going to go like super in-depth like we did with the lead guards last time just because there are fewer wings in this class. Like guys will emerge and we'll talk about them as the season goes on. But coming into the season, this is not what I would call a wing heavy draft. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, I would definitely agree with that.
0: I'm actually like very disappointed in the level of wings that currently exists that I feel confident in being first round picks. Uh, the first one, I I guess that like, we're not going to talk about Denny, uh, in this one just because, uh, I think of him more as a forward like he's six foot nine he's kind of a point forward type. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do and I think just to, to lay this out for the listeners like we th- thought about these wings as more of like two three wings rather than like forward like three four for example so that's kind of some some of the delineations are difficult because there's not a lot of difference but that's kind of how we tried to rationalize it
0: yep uh, so let's uh let's go to Scotty Lewis who is my top rated wing. Going into this year, and Scotty has some very real concerns, uh, I would say. And by the way, we're going to split out and do another podcast about guys that we're calling forwards. So, guys like Jaden McDaniels and Precious Atua and players like that. So, we're not including those guys in this one. Um, so, Scotty Lewis is my top wing, and that is concerning, even though I love Scotty Lewis unconditionally.
1: Yeah, I mean, the kid just sounds like he's incredible to be around, like, an infectious personality. Obviously a very, very high level, at least run-and-jump athlete, some of it functional. But when you have that intersection of great intangibles plus great on-the-floor athleticism in certain respects, I get the allure. You see most sites, I would say, have him as a top-ten pick. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. I don't know where I'll have him in my first mock. I'm really going to have to think about it. Um, I, I have some real concerns about the offense right now so do I say that um his uh his feel is fine on offense like I think he actually does make some fairly advanced reads but I feel a lot more comfortable utilizing him like in the dunker spot right now than I do like as a secondary playmaker on the perimeter or as a uh space the floor shooter
1: yeah which is a concern Via skill level because you don't see a lot of wings in the dunker spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially in the Correct. modern game. Like those, those are fives or maybe fours in some offenses. Like it's, you're not putting wings in the dunker spot.
0: Yeah. Unless you're TJ McConnell,
1: <laughs> unless you're forced to, I should say.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to be forced to do that with the guy you're taking, you know, 10th no, overall or something like that. Uh, now, Scotty is jumper. He has like kind of an arm twist. Uh, which is concerning in terms of his shot. And I think it leads to inconsistent release points. And he has like this wildly high arc on his jumper. So I think that there are going to be some real uh, points of growth and some real development that he's going to have to undertake with the jumper. But nonetheless uh his defensive ability is unmatched like i was at nike basketball academy and like just watching him d up like guys like demar Derozan and bradley beal like he can already bother those guys which is very rare for a freshman in college to be able to say
1: yeah i'm not worried about his on-ball defense his quickness and like the length and just his general level of athleticism maybe some of like the high level strength against those big power wings that would be an issue but as far as just movement ability not concerned at all there I, i'm more i want to see how it plays and more of a team defense construct like what kind of reads is he making this kind of goes back to his iq i'm probably a oh, little bit lower on his good he, go
0: he's like he is all over the place in off ball defense like he's trying to make i know i know he's active
1: but i don't know about the like the exact specific no i know IQ. That's,
0: i actually mean it as a negative like he is okay yeah he is uh not someone that I would count on to be in the right place Like what you want to be in the right place as a positive defender, like 90% of the time, probably he's not, not there. I will say he is, uh, he is regularly out of position and he will, uh, he has this tendency to communicate where other people are whenever he's not in the right spot, <laughs> which is like kind of oh, fun I to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he try he real it comes from like a good place it really like it's not like one of those things where he's blaming other guys it's just like there are these things he's gonna have to figure out still
1: (laughs) yeah and that's where I kind of see his game Like he is active I just don't know I think those kinds of defenders tend to get a little overrated when it looks like they're trying super hard but they're not really playing good defense if that makes sense so I want to see his decision making on both sides I'm probably a little lower on his offensive decision making from what I've seen out of control a bit too much like the skill level is he going to be able to shoot off the dribble does he have any kind of creation ability and of course you were lower on his skill level as well I'm just saying like, there's a lot to work out with him I, I get the foundation of the athleticism and And the the intangibles and all of that. I I do like him, but I'm I'm not sure if he's skilled or smart enough yet to be like a high level prospect in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he'll be like late lottery for me, something like that. It's it's hard to find guys in this draft. Like if we were talking last year's draft, like he would not be a lottery guy for me. But it's just hard to find guys that you feel confident in succeeding. Basically, like I think Isaiah Stewart, we'll get to him later when we do like bigs, but like I think Isaiah Stewart is basically like bigger Montrezl Harrell kind of and i'm gonna have isaiah stewart at like six or seven on my board because i just feel good about him being like productive and valuable
1: yeah and that's a good point like he'll be lower for me just based on positional value but like you said it's more of like you know what he can give you and i think a lot of it again we're very early in the process a lot of these guys will work themselves out there will be movers just right now that's why i don't really believe in mock drafts especially this early i mean i mean you're of course obligated to make one for the athletic or you, you do do one there and a lot of almost every site does but i think it right now it's It's just at a point where we need more information. A lot of these incoming freshmen, we've never seen them in structured environments that actually you have to do basketball things you'll have to do in the NBA.
0: Yeah, like I don't think Isaiah Stewart should go in the top seven. But I also feel the most confident of him ending up in the lottery because he is just going to be. Like the most productive freshman outside of Cole Anthony this year. Like he's going to average like seventeen and twelve or something for Washington and just be like a monster, you know?
1: Yeah, he's definitely going to be productive, and I think he made a, a great college fit. Not just because I'm from here, but just because of the the two three zone and like not really probably bringing to the surface his biggest weaknesses. But yeah, I, I do feel like he's going to be very very productive this year.
0: The next wing I've got is Khalil Whitney, six foot seven, seven foot wingspan, just a ridiculous athlete, but doesn't quite always. uh, bring out that athleticism functionally on the court uh also has solid shooting mechanics um it's just Inconsistent and he needs to like rep through some of the concerns.
1: Yeah, he's another guy. Just want to see the IQ and like what his instincts are on the floor. You see some flashes of his. I mean, the athleticism is there. Like we talked about in the past, the shot making is going to be huge for him because he's not like a great passer by any means, not really creating for others. It's going to come down to the general shooting and then if he can give you some isolation, kind of one on one shot creation. And I think you noted, he was at Nike, I think, and you noted his competitiveness when he got really fired up with DeRozan, for example, and he started being more engaged defensively. I just want to see the consistency elements of that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I will have him in the lottery, uh, just because it's hard to find true wings that are six, seven with a seven foot wingspan that are elite level athletes that, um, just can do a lot of different things. But sure. I don't, again, like this is a guy that I don't feel great about having in the lottery.
1: Yeah, for me, he would not be in it right now. I, I would even have someone like Isaac Acora over him pretty easily, and we can get to him coming up. But I, I just believe in more of what I've seen from Acora at lower levels than I have um, from Whitney.
0: So Josh Green is who I have next. 6'5 okay. um, wing, long arms, athletic, another guy that can't shoot. Yeah, I, I felt like
1: he's okay shooting. I, I think I just tend
0: to be more optimistic
1: now in shooting. Somehow this happened over the last two years or less. I, I don't know if Josh Green is like a bad shooter. I think he's fine, but I so think he needs to be a really good one.
0: Yeah, here's what I'd say. Like, I hate the mechanics. Um, he has like an elbow flare and it tends to be a... Uh, low arc shot that's like on a straight line. They yeah. actually go in at like a fairly reasonable clip. I just don't know how translatable it's going to be.
1: So your your issue is more with like extending that to NBA range and how yes. comfortably he can be in that. Like
0: I when I've watched
1: him play, like I watched him shoot up close to like Hoop Summit and stuff. He's been okay. He's been fine. I never thought that shooting was like a profound weakness for me. It's more like can he be a dynamic shooter? Can he come off motion? Um, like his ball skills in the open court are okay. His ball skills in the half court, from what I've seen in like a more tight knit environment. I think I don't view him as like this high level creator or anything like that. So I think he's going to have to shoot and you're probably going to have to have convincing evidence this year that he can shoot.
0: Um, I agree. But again, like another guy, super high compete level, good defender. Yeah. Um, again, like you're right. Like the touch is not bad. Uh, I have that in my notes here. Uh, I do think that he's going to have to over the mechanics. The good news is like, he's a monster in transition And Nico is just going to hit him constantly. Yes. In transition. Like it's gonna very be-
1: very good transition athlete. That's what's always popped in like hoops on, but he has those gliding kind of strides at times. And when you put him in bigger spaces, you can say that about a, a lot of guys. But he looks like it looks really effortless for him at times.
0: So my next guy is going to be Wendell Moore, six foot five, six eleven wingspan, uh, a guy who plays under control constantly, great poise, uh, very high feel for the game, good IQ. Uh, the jump shot has really improved. Uh, Having seen him up close at Hoop Summit uh, and at McDonald's, actually, Um, that was always the question. And he's still not the most like comfortable with it. He's definitely like a guy that is like drive first and second, take the jumper third. Uh, But I do think that like you can work that kind of tendency out of him at the end of the day.
1: I love the frame. If you watch him play high school basketball, I think I watched him in some South Carolina tournament, and he was just—he looked like Shaq on the floor. Like, if you see these prospects next to like most high schoolers, it's just incredible to watch. But uh, I do—I do think he's quicker than he gets credit for. He has some legitimate—not really like first step, but a little bit more. I guess horizontal quickness is how I'm trying to describe it. Um, he's not like this—he moves well. He look—he moves pretty fluidly, and like in FIBA play, I like the way he moves on the floor. The the free throw shooting has been great. He's another one of these guys where he's He's been a career like 80 plus percent free throw shooter on like over like 800 attempts. I do believe in the touch. Um, he's got to extend that from range and show more confidence. Uh, I don't know about the handle as far as like, creating like one on one. He's been kind of hit or miss there, but he is pretty skilled. He had some flashes in the hoop summit, and I, I do like the frame a lot. And I tend to bet on smart players like this. I just kind of want to see how functional the skill level is in the half court this year offensively.
0: Yeah, what he does really well is change paces. Um, he's really, yeah. really good at changing speeds and getting guys off balance. The like change of direction stuff, like the crossovers, like I haven't seen a whole lot of that. But like hesitation moves, pump fakes, all of that stuff, just to get like an angle on a defender. He has all that in his tool bag already, and I think he's going to be pretty good uh, utilizing that for Duke as long as they can space the floor a little bit for him. Which we'll see. Lots going to depend on Trey Jones and Vernon Carey there, but. Um, They can put some lineups together where I think he can be really useful as a floor spacer or uh, as a driver uh, surrounded by some spacing with guys like Joey Baker and Alex O'Connell. And if Jack White's knocking down shots and obviously Matthew Hurt is uh, a great shooter. So there are ways to uh, there are ways to make it work. I just worry if Duke is going to be a uh, prototypical fit for what his game is right now.
1: Yeah, which is also, it makes it a little bit more trying. I think you're going to have to watch more of his film, maybe even like the synergy as far as creation and get those flash plays. I don't usually like relying on flash plays, but sometimes you have to in college when they're not put in certain positions. So I want to see how he runs pick and roll. How does he knife through tighter confines attacking the basket? Again, how does he get to his pull up off the bounce? You noted the, the lack of shake to an extent. I, I do want to see a little bit more of the high level dribbling. That's something that I feel the worst about right now based on some of his film is just his ability to really create space off the bounce
0: uh, next guy here I have is someone that I don't know if he's gonna actually end up in this class just because of injury concerns uh, Brian Antoine um, so Jay Wright came out and mentioned at the Big East uh, what like media day I guess it is that red shirting is not off the table for Brian Antoine due to the shoulder injury he has he just hasn't gotten on the floor yet uh, or hasn't like in a way that is like high level at least uh and the Villanova system tends to be one that takes a lot of time to learn like they want very specific things from their guys like the jump stops get a lot of publicity and um yep. just being able to communicate and switches defensively obviously as well um so I, I don't necessarily know but I will say that like from a talent perspective I think Brian Antoine is a one-and-done type just because he is a really really good uh shot maker and the kind of guy who can get to his shot, uh, at his age at least, when he needs to.
1: From an athleticism and quickness standpoint, he's at the tops of this class from what I've seen. Like his first yeah. step, his burst, all of that is there. It's just, for me, I watched more and I was not enthused with the handle, just being out of control. We, I think we mentioned him in the last podcast, and that's where I thought Villanova would be such a good fit. Eventually, is just ironing out the footwork and really getting a better handle on his drives, like using the right foot and you know jump stops all of that stuff i think is going to be good and this guy is again someone who's shown shooting touch it's not like he can't shoot the ball there's some promising indicators there it's just for me it's more like the feel level like can he create for others at all that's why we probably had him in the two guard or like the wing spot instead of the lead guards is because of the the lack of passing feel kind of disappears at times in games too there's some a lot of things to prove but as far as athleticism and applying functionally with enough shooting and enough like slashing potential i think he's really interesting
0: all right so Isaac Okoro is your guy. Um, or, you know, maybe a step-in guy is the way to put it. Uh, I like Okoro. I am not as high on Okoro as you guys are, so I will give you the floor and give me the pitch on Isaac Okoro.
1: I think he has a chance to be a real wing stopper at the NBA level. I think that those guys, that umbrella gets cast too wide as far as considering guys. Yeah. I think that he actually has the ingredients outside. You'd love to see him have a little bit better length, That's just one drawback, but everything else he has, he's huge. He's so strong, really incredible footwork on the ball. I mean, he's some guy who he absolutely mirrors on the ball better than maybe any wing prospect I've seen, even better than DeAndre Hunter as far as his footwork there goes. And he's more athletic. Um, I love his strength there. I think he's going to be able to switch. And he's an outstanding off-ball defender. That's what I love about him, too, is like it's not just the switching. It's like he can make high-level rotations. He can protect the rim. Um, you, I think teams will get creative on offense, and this is where the whole issue is, of course, is on the offensive side with the shooting, the lack of convincing touch, the mechanics aren't great. Like, he's, an, he's a really good passer. That's what I feel good about in his offensive game. Like, if you could get him in a situation where he could be, like, a short roll guy, I think he'd be incredible. Like, But that's probably unlikely, given he's probably going to be played as a wing. I, I don't know what he does offensively right now. That's the biggest issue outside of transition. Like, what does he do in the half court? But if you can work that out, if he shows skill development if he shows shooting development this year I love where he's pegged to go like if he goes in the 20s and this is how I look at it I don't look at it like oh I have like someone top 5 or top 7 or top 10 right now it's more like where do I think the value is and I love taking a core in the 20s right now if that's where he ends up going which is we'll see
0: yeah, but you still need to have, like, a hierarchy of players, right? Otherwise, you're not... Like, you, you would have a Quoro in your top 14, I would assume, right now, right?
1: I would. I, I do have a hierarchy. I usually make a board. But I think the most valuable way to look at the draft is what players would you target in specific areas. Because sometimes players, it's hard to differentiate between, like, 8 and 13. Like, what's the big difference there, right? But I think if you make it so, like, they're in the same tier and then you have, like... Leans you have targets and each team. that just helps you kind of assess the value in the class,
0: right? But then, like when you're on the clock with five minutes, like on the clock, you still need to like <laughs> be prepared enough to go, okay, for our specific scheme, we're taking this guy over this guy. You know what I mean? Oh, no question.
1: Well, and we're also doing it from a very generalist standpoint. We're right, doing that's team a great. Specific. Point. If you're if, if you're building in like team specifics and like what you need execute your scheme, absolutely. I think the board actually makes much more sense in that in that circumstance.
0: Right. Um. So with a coro. I will say this, like when I went to hoop summit and saw him up against like guys that had elite size, right? He did not look as big as I expected him to. Like, I think he is like six foot five. Like, I, or maybe this is a better way to put it. I don't think he's six foot six.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I, he's jacked. I, that's what I was re- referencing more to big. Yeah. I definitely thought long. he was at least six. six.
0: Yeah. He's super long too, which I think like makes up for it. And it like makes it to the height, like matters, but it, sword it doesn't matter um but he did not look as big as what like i expected like this is not like a chumo kiki situation where chuma is like six foot eight and is like huge and looks huge on the floor right like akoro is he is pure wing size to me like he he did not look he looked like scotty lewis size except just okay. like stronger and thicker throughout his body.
1: He looks, I've never seen him in person because I didn't go to hoop summit this year. As far as sitting close during the game, I did go to the game, but I was up a little bit and I didn't go to the practices. So he, he just looked big to me on film. Like he looks like, yeah. obviously the build is there, but he looks he looks like a six, six guy to me. What do you, what is this wingspan? I thought it was like plus two or something. I didn't think it was like very I, convincingly big.
0: I would have guessed that he was like a six. If he's like, let's say he's like six, five and a half, something like that. I would have guessed the wingspan was probably in the range of like 6'9", somewhere okay. in that range. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can look this up. Like they take the wingspan measurement. So uh, at the U-17 World Cup a couple of years ago, or what, that'd be like a year and a half ago, it was 6'9".
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, so, that's fine. I, I thought when you yeah. said like really ridiculous length, we were talking about like a seven-foot wingspan. I don't see that on film, so I'm glad I'm not going no. crazy.
0: No, I think it's like a plus four. Something like in like the plus four range. Okay. Um, so when I when I watch him, I a hundred percent agree with you on all facets of him defensively. I worry about the shot, and I worry about where you put him on offense. Like I, I'm just not entirely sure where yet. I agree with you that he's a really good decision maker. Uh, I agree with you that if I Thought that I could play him at the four. I would love to utilize him in like short roll scenarios and let him just like kind of tear the defense out from the inside. Right. Um, I don't know that he can play the four at this level or at the next level though.
1: I think from a size standpoint and like a reach, I think that's his, the the counter argument to him playing the four. I think as far as strength goes, I am pretty convinced on his strength and he's gotten bigger since he's gone to Auburn. Like if you see some of his pictures, he looks just built. He's jacked. He's got the frame. He's really big. So I think he might be able to, especially in the playoffs. And I tend to value that stuff higher. And I just, again, I look at this class and I'm like, where are the impact skills coming from? Where are the impact attributes? Like from a projection standpoint and like his defense, I think he's going to be the best defensive player in the country this year. I think you can make a case maybe like John Teske Ooh. is something. But I, I, I think he, Isaac Akoro is going to be the best defensive player in the country. And what I love about it is he plays in the SEC. So he's going to be coming against these guys every night. And we get so many matchups that are valuable this year. Like, How many guys do we get to see a, a go against Isaac Akoro? He's like a godsend from a scouting standpoint.
0: I will have Akoro like... In the first round like somewhere like probably late first round maybe maybe like even in the 30s somewhere so like I think that he has a real chance to be like a one-and-done guy like I'm not I'm not saying that like I'm totally out on him by any stretch um man that is a that's heavy I think <laughs> to have him just because the offense is like a real worry
1: yeah, no, I know. It, it is. But again, I think the passing's there. He's at least smart. Um, I want to see him more in like creation settings and see what he's got. Like, I'm not saying he can do that stuff. That's what I'm most curious of. But I'm very sold on the defense. And again, I think that... You know these, We talked about this in the past. These big wing types, that's really inefficient a lot of times for teams. Like they overpay guys. Um, I don't think that's an efficient market. I like the fact that he's not going to be valued at where I value him. Like There's a, a, definitely a chasm between those two things. And if I can get him from a value standpoint in the 20s and just hope that he can shoot and you can refine his mechanics, like that to me could be an impact winning player. And that's kind of what I'm looking for.
0: I think you can make a case that he will be the best defensive prospect in this class in terms of like best defensive player. Uh, I will take Xavier Simpson, John Teske. Gimme give gimme give the man the god Kyler Kelly up at Oregon State. <laughs> um I want uh probably Nimi Keda. Just in terms of like defensive value, right? Like these guys that are big are just like so valuable defensively. Um, Diaquite at Virginia is just like so ridiculous at executing their scheme and is a good shop blocker and can obviously defend on the perimeter. So like I'm I'm not nearly as high on the uh impact defensively that he's gonna make. Like I I would be shocked if he makes the Or if he wins the SEC Defensive Player of the Year award.
1: I think that's fair. And I was regarding more as like a prospect. Like, I don't, when I talk about college basketball, like, I'm not as into actual college basketball as you are. So it's more like from a prospect-y sense. Like, I think Teske is kind of a prospect. So I guess throwing him in there for some made it seem more college-esque. I do think that he has a claim to be like a top 100 player in this class. But uh, from a value standpoint, I agree. I mean, like if, you're, if that's what your gauge is as far as like rim protection and like that being more valuable, yes, than wing defense, I think that there's a legitimate claim for that. But I think that Okor will do what he's supposed to do better than almost anybody else in the country. and I think he will be that kind of, for, for prospects at least, for sure. And even comparatively to the rest of college, I think it's really going to stand out, man.
0: And he's like 18 years old. So he's going to play half this season at 18 years old. So I think it's worth mentioning that and saying like, Hey, um, it's going to be, it's going to be impressive. I think to see him play this year, Uh, let's go with, is there anyone else that you think is like a standout guy that we have to talk about before we get into the fringy guys? Um, And there is one more guy I'm going to mention. It's. Someone that fans of the show will obviously recognize, but is there is there someone else other than that guy that like we need to talk about as a elite player? I don't know about elite
1: player. I would say as a late first round pick for me right now is Aaron Henry. I think that he deserves yep. mention here. I do like him. I think he's an NBA rotation wing. Like looking at his skill set. Yeah. I really like the. I think his field level is really underrated. He's a very good passer. He's shown enough as a shooter, even some pull up ability. Even though I'm not super high in like his isolation, I do wish he was big. Like I've, I think I've said this on the podcast before. If he was a legit six eight, he would be a lottery pick for me right now. And that might sound yeah. like a hot take, but when you get players that are that skilled, and he's really smart too. I, I do like that. Um, I I don't like the fact that Derek Colver made, made him look small last year. And Derek Culver is like the tallest sub six, seven wing I've ever seen as far as measurements. Like he just looks so much bigger on the floor to me, but uh, I, I do like Aaron Henry as a rotation wing in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, another Aaron that I think is worth bringing up is Aaron Neesmith at Vanderbilt. Uh, Aaron Neesmith is, I, I guess this is a good question for you. You were early on the Neesmith hive with me last year. Um, would you rather Aaron Henry or Aaron Neesmith as a prospect right now?
1: I think Henry. Um, Neesmith is a better off-movement shooter, and yep. he shows a little bit more creativity off the bounce as far as getting to his shot. But I think that Henry is better at everything else.
0: I th- think I would agree with that, especially defense. Um, yes. Henry's defense is not, like, great necessarily, but I think at Michigan State it's going to be really good this year. Um, you know, obviously he got lost occasionally last year defensively, and that's why he didn't play as many minutes as what his talent level might indicate. Um Neesmith got to play a billion minutes because Vanderbilt was a trash fire last year. Um, I, I would say that Aaron Neesmith is interesting from a shooting perspective. And shooting is probably more important for guys that we're talking about right now than any other skill, would you agree?
1: I mean, further roles in the NBA, yeah. I mean, shooting is the most important. It's just how much do you bet on a guy like Aaron Henry getting a little bit better shooting when he has a solid foundation compared to Smith, yeah. who's ahead of him right now, but doesn't have the rest of the package there?
0: Yeah. Um, they'll both be... I, I will guess I will probably have Smith around... Th- Oh, man, it's hard. It's hard to come up with, like, 20 (laughs) guys that you're excited about right now. Um, Yeah, they'll be in the same, like, 15-guy range, basically, in terms of a watch list. Uh, Jordan Wara is probably worth bringing up. He won uh, preseason ACC Player of the Year, if I remember correctly, uh, at the media day with the ACC. Shooter, that's about all I got for Jordan Wara. Uh, He is a good shooter, and his bounce is underrated I think if he can load off of two feet improved as a driver last year whenever he forced guys to get off balance uh, when uh, they were closing out on him and you obviously have to close out heavy on him because he's such a shooter, but man, the shooting is really the only thing I buy into with Wara as and NBA player.
1: Me too. And I think he's probably best utilized as like a stretch four. And I just need those guys to be better defensive players. Like that's where I'm at. I don't like these offensive fours in the modern game as much if you can't play both sides of the floor. So that's why I'm a little lower on him. I like the quick release and he shows a little shot diversity as well. And he's okay when he has space to load up like you noted, but I don't see a bunch else there. Very, very good college player, of course.
0: Cool, well, it's time for the main event.
1: It's about, it's about Joe. time, I would
0: say. <laughs> Isaiah Joe, just the absolute god, the legend, um, just an absolute chucker in the best way. Um, but I guess, like, are you a chucker when you are a fifty-five percent three-point shooter? Like, are, <laughs> is that is that possible? Whenever you are making ninety-nine percent of your threes. <laughs> I, I would say it's not
1: possible to be a chucker when you're as smart as Joe is. I think chucker is kind of like we say it in like the funny sense and stuff, but a lot of people view that negative connotation. Like you take a bunch of bad shots. Like Joe, to me, is a very, very intelligent player, and that's why I like him so ooh, much. Ooh.
0: He takes some bad shots. Let's. He takes some bad. Wait, they're hard <laughs> shots, but I, I don't know if they're yeah. like bad for him.
1: You know what I mean? Like, like if he's contested, he has like a jab step from 28 feet. I'm fine with him taking
0: that. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is a 42% three-point shooter over, what was it? He took like 250 attempts last year. Um, he is really fun. I love Isaiah Joe so, so much. In terms of just watching him, like he's we might have to have an Isaiah Joe segment this year because Isaiah Joe is just the absolute most fun player in college basketball that like 20% of college basketball fans actually know who the fuck he is. Um, I will say... When guarded on catch-and-shoot attempts last year, according to Synergy, 49.6%. So, like, not a not a great number because he takes a lot of pretty bad ones.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, and as a size, it's not like we're talking about, like, a 6'8 guy who can just shoot over the top. Like, I guess you can bother his shot a little bit. Like, there's some stuff yeah. to work with there. But I think statistically, like, over 40% and over 10 attempts per um, 40 minutes pace adjusted for freshmen, it's only him, Steph, and Jamal Murray that have done it. Like he's a really, really good shooter, and I think like the free throw percentage, seventy five percent, is a little misleading. Like if you look, I wrote an expansive piece on him. Like you look back at like pre college stats, and he was like almost fifty percent on threes on like a hundred and like seventy attempts in AAU. He was like a high, like eighty nine percent free throw shooter his senior year. Like I can shoot the shit out of the ball, and like yeah. I think there's a lot more shot diversity there. Like. He literally put Hero's ass on the on the bench against Kentucky because Hero could not stay with him off the ball. And he had that one step back three in Hero's face that was just like cause Calipari to yank him. So for, the big issue with Joe is the strength. He's very, very narrow. He's apparently added some some girth this year. He like could not drive last year. And I think that was more of a issue with his strength level, just not being able to beat initial contact. Not an elite level driver by any means. He's not even a good one as far as that goes, as far as aggression. He's mostly looking to shoot. But I want to see how much the strength, Level function he plays into his game. Because I think the most underrated part of his game is he's legitimately a smart basketball player. Like I've broke this down against Indiana and the NIT. Like he made like 14 winning plays in that game. And you just rarely see such a concentrated dose like that from a freshman.
0: The only high major player in college basketball last season to take at least 60 shots off the dribble and make them at a 1.2 point per possession clip. Uh, He is just a monster shooter. Like he's he is ridiculous in every regard as a shooter. Uh, I am a big fan. Obviously, Cole is a big, big fan. I think Musselman getting there is only going to help because the level to which Eric is a better like, coach as an offensive mind than Mike Anderson, uh, as we saw last <laughs> year as Mike Anderson ran post-up after post-up for Daniel Gafford, um, is just it's immeasurable. I think uh, they're going to get him a bunch of shots and I am excited for him to average 20 points a game this year.
1: Yeah. The best quote I've heard this off season so far is muscle been, he was asked what he feels about the extended three point line. And he said, I feel great. I have Isaiah Joe. <laughs> right. It's just like, yep, like, that's, that's that shit right there.
0: No joke. Um, all right. Where do we, we want to talk about Josiah James as well. Uh, I will give you the floor, uh, on Josiah.
1: I've really only seen him in FIBA at his size, and like he has pretty good feel from what I've seen. He moved better than I thought he would. Like his acceleration, his open court athleticism was actually kind of impressive. I was expecting more of like this, you know, six six guy who couldn't move that well. Um, the shooting no. is, the, is an issue as far as like mechanics don't look super fluid. He can make some shots. I, I do think he's a little underrated though for bringing kind of like more of a playmaking mindset to a guy who has the frame and has really good size.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, like he plays a lot of point guard, um, like for any level he's ever been on. And I would imagine that at Tennessee this year, with guys like Jordan Bowman and Lamonte Turner, he's probably going to play a lot of point guard at Tennessee this year. Uh, his feel for the game and his ability to make plays as a passer at six foot five, six six, somewhere in that range, really, really impressive. He is a guy that can genuinely create plays uh, for others with his vision. I am a pretty big fan. Like I think he's. Like, who would you take, him or Killian Hayes? Oh,
1: boy. I mean, I've seen so much more Hayes at this point when I've soured on him, but I have to lean Hayes until I just see certain things from James. Um, Sure. I I agree. Like, his size, like, that's what I'm getting at with, like, the point guard, like, just how big he is and how he moves with having playmaking skills. Like, getting big playmakers is super dope.
0: (laughs) Getting big playmakers is super dope. (laughs) What a statement. Thank you. (laughs) Um... What other what other wings do you want to mention here?
1: God, there's a lot we can really go through. It's just how like impactful are all these guys? Like some returning guys, like Devin Vassell. We have Aaron Wiggins, Joe Wieskamp, Nate Hinton. Uh, any, t- time, any of those out. guys?
0: Time out. Your first name was Devin Vassell at Florida State. I love that. Well, he's, I was just going through,
1: like, by how I have him ordered on my, my uh, watch list, and he's the top guy right now on the ACC as far as order, so I kind of just read across the screen. <laughs>
0: Devin Devin Vassal, he's, like, six six and, like, a very real NBA prospect. Uh, shot 42% from three last year, but played, like, 20% of Florida State's minutes. Yeah, he did not play very much. I, I did watch a
1: good amount of his tape, actually. He's a pretty smart player, honestly. He's got good length, but he's, like hyper poor man's Mikhail Bridges without that level of touch and I don't really trust his mechanics at the top of his release yet but just someone to keep an eye on
0: I'm like not a thousand percent sure that Devin Vassal starts
1: it's kind of interesting <laughs> well this team has some definite players I got four guys on my watch list here so that's uh yeah
0: yeah like PJ Williams is obviously one of them I would assume we should probably talk about him right like I, I he's it's hard. Like it's hard to like say, is he a winger? Is he a four? Like I, I don't really know where to classify him. Do you want to talk about him now or on the next one?
1: Yeah, I had him more as a forward. I think we could probably throw him in that discussion. I think he's probably better suited for that.
0: Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, but like, what they're probably going to start Trent Forrest at the point. They'll definitely start yep. MJ Walker. Um, kind of just depends on what they do with PJ Williams, I guess. Right? Like, I, I guess Vassell probably will start.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, this is your area of ex- expertise as far as like college lineups. I'm not really sure. They just have, I know they're pretty deep. So let's,
0: as, like, let's, talk about, deep. let's talk about, let's talk about Wheez Camp because Wheez Camp entered this year's draft. He popped up on my top 100, um, like lower, like in the 90s uh, at one point. Um, is a freshman last year, six foot six. I want to say has like a six eight wingspan, six seven with like a six eight wingspan, something like that. Sixty three percent true shooting percentage, forty two percent from three on one hundred and forty attempts. Uh, very good foul shooter. Plays a really really smart game as well. Uh, I think he plays in the NBA and is a draft pick at some point.
1: I agree. I mean, his ability to make shots off the catch is legitimate. I'm just not really sure what else he's good at necessarily outside of being you know 6'6 and having a pretty good frame like he's not a dynamic off movement shooter he's not going to really get to any spots on pull-ups for example and defensively he's okay but I don't really see him being like any kind of impactful defender as far as like a dynamic switch guy or like a really really high level team defender so I, I just don't know if he has enough functional athleticism to really apply like ancillary skills to his shooting
0: so you mentioned Nate Hinton at Houston. Uh, yes. I will say that. So most people are more excited about Dejan Giroux. Uh yep. He is like more of like a lead, but he's six foot five with like pretty reasonable length. Um, so maybe we can like group those two together. Um, so Hinton is six five, has a really good frame. Uh, knocked down the occasional three last year. He did play like. I don't know, like, it felt like more of the four last year to me because they played all those, like, super small lineups with, like, Robinson Davis and Armani Brooks. So, I don't know. Like, I, I want to see what he looks like defensively more against, like, actual perimeter players, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought we talked about Giroux on the last podcast. I could be wrong, but if we didn't, we should just give him a brief mention here cuz he's definitely like a legitimate prospect for me. Maybe not, obviously, maybe not like a first round prospect, but I do probably have him in like the top 70ish right now as far yeah, as Jero like, like a like watch I,
0: list guy for sure.
1: Yeah, so like his hit, I mean just really quickly, his playmaking off the bounce, like his ability to like actually make pick and roll reads at his size, some of the length extension on finishes is pretty alluring, like the stride length as well. So there's some stuff to buy into again, like bigger kind of playmaking type of of guard. But Hinton, I have the same issues and the same question marks as far as how quick is he laterally. I, I think I've seen some bad tape of his there. Um, he's an exceptionally smart player. Like I really like Hinton's instincts. Very, very good rebounder. You see him use his eyes to yeah. like track balls off the glass. Very good there. Um, how much does his offensive game play out? He kind of has – who's the kid that went to Florida last year who is the senior? Hudson, is that right? Jalen
0: Hudson? Jalen Hudson, yeah.
1: I've kind of seen their mechanics shooting the balls a little bit similar. They're both, like, they get a lot of rise into their shots. It's not like a really, like, set shotty, like, you can expand to greater ranges, even though Hinton did shoot well. Um, he's great free throw shooter and he shot well I think he shot reasonably well from three I'm i I'm not sure about the range element can he shoot like long range NBA threes with that rise off the catch but he, looking for that a little bit more but he can pass he's, he's he's a smart player I'm not sure if he's like an isolation level player I'm not sure what his role is yet but I do like him a lot
0: Uh, one guy we forgot I just realized is Trendon Watford like we actually very much need to talk about Watford
1: okay I to me I always thought him is more of like again more of that forward type I didn't know if he was like a 2-3 wing to me Like, he's pretty big, isn't he? Isn't he like six, seven? He's built.
0: Yeah, and has like super long arms, like, has like a plus seven wingspan or so. Um, I do think he is more of a three. Um, I I think that like his shot actually will translate to being more of a three plus like wingstopper defensively. They might play him at the four. Like, LSU has a million guards. Uh, Like, Skylar Mays is there. Javante Smart is there still. Um, Like, it, it might be worthwhile for them to play him at the four, but. I think his NBA position is like a three in the vein of like Trevor Ariza.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen him for probably two and a half months. I watched, I think, a game and a half of his a while back. And to me, he always kind of seemed more of like a face up four. But I clearly have to watch more than.
0: Yeah. Like I I would think that, I mean, like they'll probably start uh, Emmett Williams, uh, Trendon Watford, Skylar Mays and Javante Smart and then where they go with that like fifth spot do they play a true big do they play Darius Days as like another guy that's like six six with like a bigger frame uh, I- I'm not entirely sure what they're gonna do but Trendon Watford is a very real prospect that yes. I think is um, someone worth bringing up
1: yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, just the last guy I mentioned that initial foursome I gave you, Aaron Wiggins, just a guy from Maryland. Oh yeah. Keep their eyes on one of the best catch and shoot guys in this class. I think he's a pretty damn good shooter. I'm not sure if he can really do much else right now as far as like creation or like defensively. Doesn't really pop for me either. So I'm just kind of curious. He, he, we know he can shoot off the catch, and I think that he's one of the best shooters, maybe not in this class, but he's he's a very good shooter. We'll see what else that he can do. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Samuel Williamson at Louisville as well. Uh, He was always like kind of a mid-range killer type, but he's expanded that range out to three. I am not sure if he's going to be a one and done uh, 2020 or a 2021, but I think he's a first round pick uh, at some point. When he decides to come out, because he can really shoot it, he has great feel. He has uh, great hesitation moves, like can change pace, knows how to get guys off balance. Um, I am a I am a big fan of Samuel Williamson long term.
1: I haven't seen much of him. I think he only in the McDonald's practices, and he immediately looked like poor man's Jason Tatum to me, as far as the yeah. fluidity shooting off the dribble in the mid range, especially uh, as a shooter. I I buy the intrigue. I'm just I haven't seen enough of him to really comment on a, like his feel or like his defense or anything like that
0: yeah i think that that's reasonable um i'm trying to think who else what other wings do we need let's go really
1: quick miles Powell, just someone we should mention um sure i think that he's again one of the best shooters in the country probably can shoot from nba range off movement especially he has pull ability too. pretty dynamic shooter overall um i think he's a little underrated as a passer his defense is just not good that's the problem with him is like at that size he's just not a good enough defender but i do like I think he's underrated as a as a, not necessarily a decision maker, but I think his vision's okay. Combining that with his shooting, which I think he's going to get NBA looks. Like it would surprise me if he wasn't at least on a summer league roster.
0: I would agree; he's definitely going to be on a summer league roster. I think there's a very real chance that like he gets drafted just because he's going to average yeah. 25 points a game this year. Um, like he is a genuinely elite shooter. I think he's, in my opinion, like having watched them a good amount last year. Like I think he's better than. Uh, Marcus Howard, for instance, at Marquette. Um, Xavier Sneed at Kansas State. Do I remember correctly that you liked him at one point? I'm not a huge
1: fan. Like, I don't have much to say about him. I, I don't know if I've ever voiced like positive, anything positive for Snead. I, I, he's, he's fine. He's like, a, he's a good college player. I just don't know what his NBA role is really.
0: Generally agree. Uh, like basically across the board on that. Um, <laughs> Trying to think who else? Who else do we need? have you have you have a a big list so let's let's just uh let's roll with who your list is right now because you have a uh you have people in front of you so romeo weems is going to DePaul. He's like this 6-7 forward. I think of him more as like a forward. I haven't seen like a crazy amount of him though.
1: Yeah. See, I, I've seen mostly FIBA. I say most entirely FIBA. And he mostly played the four there. Very, very good defender. He's got outstanding hands, like very, very good defensive recognition. But when you watch more of like his FIBA tape, or not his FIBA tape, his high school tape, and like his ball handling really pops, he has some legit dribble moves. So I think there might be more wing skill there than we've seen at the most at the highest levels of play that he's played at, as far as FIBA. So that's why I kind of threw him in here. I do. If I saw just FIBA, I would agree with you 100%. I would put him in the forward category. He might be there anyway. That's probably where he's best. I just wanted to mention him quickly because I think there's some genuine intrigue with his defensive ability, his passing, and if he can handle the ball at the level that he's shown flashes of, I think he's really interesting. And the shoot the shooting again is going to be the swing skill for him. But there's enough there as far as the indicators like free throw percentage and stuff to have some kind of optimism.
0: Can I mention Sam Merrill real quick? Um, Yes. I think Sam Merrill is a very real prospect.
1: Okay. Sell me.
0: Uh, He is the best shooter in the country. That's kind of where it ends. Like, I think he is, full stop, the best shooter in the country. Just there's not really another way around it. Um, Unguarded catch and shoots last year, he was at 82.2 effective field goal percentage. That'll do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think he can do anything else at an NBA level, like just straight up, but he is genuinely the country's best shooter and is worth like bringing up at least.
1: Yeah. To me, he's someone who could probably get like maybe an exhibit 10 or some kind of a contract like that in the league, just a shot and see like how he can hang with better athletes. And typically those guys do get looks in the league. I'm a little skeptical that he has anything else, like you noted. I'm tem- I tend to be a little bit more suspect on guys like that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's 100% reasonable to be suspect on guys like that too. Um, I'm trying to like run through random college teams now. Who else do you have on your list right now?
1: I have about eight more guys, and we can kind of streamline this. So going off mid-majors, two guys that Mike Gribanoff is a huge fan of. This is like, he's been all over both of these guys. Traveling Queen of New Mexico State and Vince Williams of VCU. I, I don't know if either one of those guys is like... A definitive prospect I, I really like i do like queen as far as his iq his athleticism i think he's a little raw offensively but he's someone to really watch for that is under the radar i'm not sure if i've heard anybody talk about him on a national level
0: yeah he came off the bench for new mexico state last year. <laughs> like <laughs> that's it's a, it's a wild I'm just one saying. i, I uh, like if you look at like his a... skill and
1: block numbers though like his production and like if you per 40 it it looks unreal and if you watch his tape like he does blow up some actions as a team defender he's a really good athlete i just th- it's more about like does he get the notoriety and can he kind of harness his skill level and that kind of polish offensively because that really stuck out as a negative to me when i watched it. i've only seen two games
0: isn't um isn't uh, Gribanov, one of the Skylar Flatten guys, like is a big Skylar Flatten guy.
1: Oh, that I cannot attest to. I'm not sure.
0: I think I remember Gribanov being like in on Skylar Flatten, who just signed with the Heat. Because uh, I was like, I, I would have put like Skylar Flatten in my top like 160 or so last year, like in terms of guys. Okay. Like I liked him enough. He was like San Diego State's like third best player, but he's also like a 40% three point shooter and could do some things. Um, Vince Williams is the kid for VCU that like comes off the bench and plays the four, right? Yes. Um, I don't know enough about, like, I remember watching him play last year and was like, Oh, this kid looks like everyone else on VCU's team, something between (laughs) six foot five and six foot seven. And, uh, seems like he can shoot (laughs) or like, seems like he can't shoot. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what he doesn't really pop. In like the games I watched I wasn't like oh this guy's a legitimate prospect but just looking at his numbers and looking at the holistic kind of sample that he's put on I think he's kind of underrated he's not gonna come out this year so he, this is more of like a guy in the future I'm just kind of naming off my, like, my last eight guys here um, uh, one more guy one more guy in the international really quick um just do would you qualify Terry Armstrong as a wing is he more of before
0: uh I don't think he's like a great prospect. So I don't like he's a wing for sure for the NBA yeah. level. But yeah, like I'm not really a fan.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's hard to say because he's not really playing a ton for his team An um, NBL play. I did see one play where he did come off a curl and shot over the top of someone. And that's what his allure is to me watching some of him. I think he played Spire at lower level. And I, just watching his shooting off the dribble and kind of his fluidity. I think that is something that this class doesn't have a lot of we've talked about the wings in this class aren't very good especially on like pull-up shooting and that as far as that goes so if Armstrong's gonna make it i think that is going to be how but there's of course some some questions with his character as far as like the grades example as i know it in high school um do you have anything else to add as far as him as far as like anything negative
0: uh i don't in terms of like negatives i don't really care about like guys that can't make grades necessarily like as long as they can learn plays like that's fine um yeah. I mean, like he's a super athlete. He just doesn't really know how to play from what I've seen. Like he's just a, like not a, not a high feel player from yes. everything that I've watched. A um, couple of AAC guys that probably will be in this draft, definitely will be in this draft. Uh, Jaron Cumberland at Cincinnati uh, will probably play some point this year, but he's definitely a wing long-term shot it a little bit better from distance last year, but Went to the G League Elite Camp and was a just he was one of the worst players there to be honest like just wasn't athletic enough um, yeah. didn't shoot the ball well it, it was tough um, I'm intrigued like he does have high feel he has scoring instincts big powerful frame I just think he's probably more of like a four in Europe type of guy um, Quinton Rose at Temple six foot eight guy that you know his been on the radar now for like five years it seems like uh we'll have to finally declare he just can't shoot that's a significant worry if you can't shoot I have uh real real concerns
1: yeah I took Rose off my watch list apparently I was gonna mention Cumberland that's one of the guys and I have nothing to add I completely agree with everything you said uh one guy in the SEC really quick Skylar Mays do you have any thoughts there
0: did we talk about him with the lead guards if we didn't I'm I'm sorry uh I'm a big fan and, like, Javante Smart, too. Like, both of them are kind of comboy y guards. Uh, I think Skylar Mays is, like, a very real prospect that will be in my top 70 to start the year. I, I'm
1: trending that way. I've gone back and watched him a little bit more. And uh, I think he's a little underrated athletically, for one. And I think shooting the ball, we'll kind of see what the degree is there as far as how functional that is. But I do think he's not getting enough credit. Um, as a prospect. I think that he's probably, I'd probably have him in that same range that you do.
0: A uh, couple of Big East guys, Najee Marshall.
1: Yeah. Um, Stepian writer, Zach Milner, huge Najee Marshall guy. Probably the biggest I've heard. He's someone who I've got to get back and watch him. Um, I haven't seen too much of him or Scruggs lately. Uh, I got to go back and do that, but uh, I, all, he has proponents.
0: So I will say that uh, I am, I have not been a fan of Najee before Uh, i've been told he had a really great summer at xavier by people who were there and looks really great uh six foot seven seven foot wingspan which is very useful but a guy that is a twenty seven percent three three-point shooter who makes really poor decisions with the ball um he is a good he makes the advanced reads but then tries to like do it way too often and like doesn't have like a super tight handle um 21.2 turnover rate is a wing even if you're like a semi-high usage ring wing that's just too high i think um trying to think uh mustafa heron any i, I don't really think so but do you have any no. strong thoughts
1: i'm with you i just don't i don't know if he does enough like i he's on my list he's on my watch list i had him more as like a kind of a combo for type of player but i i'm not really interested
0: It would have been way funnier if you just said no and stopped talking. (laughs) (laughs) I try not Um, to be overly harsh
1: on this podcast, but sometimes it can come out that way.
0: Yeah. uh, I don't really see anyone else in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is like super down prospect-wise this year.
1: Yeah. Yes, it is. I have The only remaining guys that I have are in the Big 12, if you want to get to those. I can just run off a group of five and see if you have any thoughts on any of them.
0: Yeah. Let's start with uh, O'Shea Agbaji at... uh, Kansas. Saw him at Nike Basketball Academy. He's a shooter, uh, interesting shooter who should start and probably average double figures. And like, I think he plays a role for them in his a potential prospect down the road for sure.
1: I think I agree. I'm not sure if I'm totally sold on the shooting at a high level yet. And I just don't know what else he brings. If he's not going to have that, there's just, you need to see more from him, which we're obviously going to. So he's, he's definitely on the watch list. I think he's kind of interesting. I think maybe he got hyped up a little bit too much last year, just because of how much someone like Grimes disappointed. And you compare those two guys. Ogbaje was like, oh my God, there's actually someone who's actually decent on this team on the wing. And I don't know if he's really like a real, real prospect yet, but he's on the watch list.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, Iowa State doesn't really have anyone unless you're considering um, Tyrese Halliburton a wing, which I kind of do, but uh, that's a discussion topic for another day, probably. Desmond Bain, uh, just like a super high level shooter uh, that has funky mechanics.
1: Yes, Bain was one of the guys I was going to bring up. Really built, um, really good shooter. Pretty good in the open court. I'm not sure if he's a real NBA guy. Or if there's enough skill level there, or if he's big enough. Like again, if this is like a six eight guy, I, I would be more interested. But uh, he's he's on the watch list for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like I will be interested to see if they use him a little bit at point next year. I think there's like a real chance that he could maybe. Do a little bit of that. Um, you wanted to bring up a few Texas Tech guys. We didn't talk about Jameis Ramsey a whole lot last time. I, I'm intrigued, but not like overly optimistic for this year. Um, go, You bring up your guy because I want to give you the floor on him.
1: Yeah, I don't know actually a lot about him. I have just heard positive reports out of tech about Terrence Shannon as a shooter, kind of like a three and D type. Um, the IQ is we don't know about that yet as far as what kind of instincts he has, but more of that three and D who can really shoot the ball. And he's just gotten really rave reviews from some of the people that I have that I know have attended, you know, tech practices and stuff like that. So both of these guys, Ramsey, I think, had that monster. Didn't he have like a 40 point game overseas. I always viewed him as more as a wing, so I'm glad we're talking about him in this segment. But some, I think, have said he's more of a combo guard. Not really sold on the skill level or necessarily like the shooting upside there. But both of these guys, I mean, Tech is an awesome program, in my opinion, like strength and conditioning. Multiple people have pointed that out. Over time, they develop guys really well. They seem to be high on Shannon. So I just think it's someone who I'm going to watch pretty much immediately when college basketball starts.
0: Uh, Do you have uh, Isaac Lakekely on
1: there, too? I do, but I don't know really. He's another he's probably one of the five guys I don't know a ton about. Like I think I've seen one of his games all, 3 months ago. Do you have any thoughts?
0: Um just like very basic ones like not really much of a shooter as a freshman. Uh, definitely an interesting playmaker. Uh, almost like more of a lead, even though he has like the six foot four. Looks like he's over 200 plus pounds uh, from a frame perspective. Uh, the frame, the athleticism, all of that stuff is interesting. But I uh, I need to see more in terms of decision making and shooting, I think, so far. But you know, I can't like, go like wildly in depth on him either.
1: Yeah, so my last team is Oklahoma did, did we talk about the before I know you're kind of high on him relatively
0: yeah uh, I thought we talked might have talked about him like briefly in the last podcast as we like a have. pseudo lead that like he's more of like a you know guy who defends lead guards almost more than like a lead guard himself right now did you watch any of him I haven't seen a ton yet. I'm kind
1: of waiting because the other guy I was going to bring up here is I know a lot of people would say Debian Harmon, but we talked about him on more of the lead. Um, did, I remember we yeah. talked about him as a guard. Uh, but the other guy that's really under the radar, and this is kind of a Ben Rubin special is Alondis Williams, uh, Juco transfer. He has some really, really interesting tape, man. Like if you watch this pull-up game, I, I don't know about the athleticism, how it translates against you know the Big 12 or whatnot, but he, he definitely has a pull-up game. He has enough feel. I think he's going to be kind of a sleeper. Very, very interested to see him.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued. Uh, I don't know anything about him. Uh, I'm intrigued based <laughs> off of what you've said. I will throw out another name. Speaking of the JUCO ranks, uh, Jaden Scrub. Uh, he goes to a school named, I believe, it's John Logan. In uh, I think it's in Louisville, if I remember correctly. He's committed to Louisville right now to go, but there are some. Yes. Uh, there have been discussions that you know he might end up going pro this year he'll certainly at least test the waters and see where he stands i would say he was one of like the 10 best college kids that i saw at the nike basketball academy where you know there were a lot of really good players there obviously uh i'm intrigued lefty playmaker you know kind of a guy who plays the lead at that level but more of a wing i think long term is like a six foot five guy who can knock down shots uh good decision maker good iq i I want to see a little bit more athletically and I want to see a little bit more from him defensively, but there are some, there's some intrigue there for sure.
1: Yeah. And I've only seen highlights of him on YouTube. So there's not much to comment on. I don't like doing that from such a small sample size, but I get why his shooting looked pretty good to me in, in the sample that I saw. And that's probably on that purpose, but uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm definitely intrigued.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think that's all we got. We went through a bunch of names. How many of these guys are you actually excited about? Cause there aren't many for me.
1: Oh God. Um, <laughs> end the podcast on a, on a sour note, uh, there's like right now, maybe like if I'm being conservative, maybe 10 that I'm like, I'm not legitimately excited, but like, reasonably excited. I don't know if there's anybody, any wing in this class that I look at. Like I love a Koro, but I have to see so much offensively to get to the level where I'd be like incredibly excited.
0: Yeah. The number is like two or three for me. I'm like not enthused. Um, <laughs> let's end on a positive note. Uh, review time. Please remember yes. to leave ratings and reviews uh, for the podcast on iTunes. Best NBA pod from Stargone gone X. Uh, the game theory podcast is to podcasting about the NBA as Sean Livingston is to the 10 foot jump shot. So that's a good one. I appreciated that.
1: Yeah, that was uh, short and sweet. I liked it.
0: Yeah. Very, very simple. Uh, We can, we can shout out to, uh, to be honest, I'm only here for the movie reviews. Uh, You could bring up Sam's incredible knowledge and analysis of basketball. The pre-draft coverage with Cole makes me sound more intelligent around the water cooler every year, but nothing gets me going like the flaming hot TV and film takes with Dieter. Uh, They could be a whole separate podcast about it. He's wrong about the last Jedi though, because that was trash. Strong disagree. (laughs) I will say saw Joker. Have you seen Joker yet?
1: I have seen Joker.
0: What did you think?
1: Oh, boy. Is there enough time in this podcast? I enjoyed it. I, I, I realized how it would be controversial, but I thought the acting was pretty incredible. I thought the just the score and like just the timing of everything. I thought it really worked.
0: I thought the score was the best part of the movie. Um, I did not really like it. I was surprised. Like I've known people that have like been working on that movie just like out here and I've like been hearing about it for <laughs> probably 10 months now nine months something like that certainly since at least like january and i was very let down i was i did not think it was i'll i just did not think it was actually very good at all okay that was
1: gonna be my clarifying point is like there's a difference between liking it and like it being a really good movie you know what i mean it's like there's a slight differentiation there
0: (laughs) i thought that it was i thought it jumped around a little bit too much in terms of what it was trying to say um I thought that the incessant laughter by Joaquin Phoenix took you out of the took you out of what was happening on in the film. It was just so over the top for a movie that was so grounded in realism that I really struggled with it. I struggled with Joaquin's performance because of it. Uh, He certainly did exactly what, you know, I'm certain that Todd Phillips asked him to do. But and like he performed exceedingly well at it like there are moments where he is just arresting on the screen like you cannot take your eyes off of what he's doing um but i really thought that like it just bounced around too much and that it was it felt like todd phillips thinks that he's he made like the best movie like about like mental illness but the mental illness in the way it was covered really uh, was a struggle for me. Um, I I did not think it was... I did not think it was covered well. I did not think that it was... um, I I did not think it was characterized well. Uh, And then there was one other issue that I had with it. I'm trying to think. Oh, it just... uh, My my other point is, like, it just generally felt like knockoff Scorsese, but not as good, basically.
1: (laughs) I'm not as much of a film buff, so that's all fair. I think... I liked how it jumped around, just because I honestly had no expectations. I didn't read any reviews. I didn't even know like what I, I knew like j- the general premise of the movie, obviously, but I didn't know like any kind of specifics. So I kind of liked that it just you left and you were like, okay, like what exactly was real, all of that. I thought for me, and just the fact that it was like a total beating of a movie, like you could feel like every single scene, especially with the score and just kind of how it was delivered. Even if it did jump around, I just felt like you don't leave movies very often and you're just like, holy shit. You know what I mean? I'm sure that's what they're aiming for. So from that standpoint, I I do agree with you, like the controversy around the mental health and that being maybe the biggest takeaway of the movie but I I was I was impressed I mean I again I didn't have expectations I'm not like oh my god I have to go see the Joker like a lot of people were um I I I didn't enjoy it necessarily from like a liking it standpoint because it's really hard to like that movie but I I did think it was pretty well done and it did I think it accomplished what it set out to and that it just made you think when you left the theater
0: one other thing that frustrated me Is and this is like an actual spoiler alert. Like I I think that we've done a pretty good job of like talking around it. So if you uh, if you don't want to have like a spoiler on plot, like please stop listening now. Um, I thought that the twist where like you know he's very clearly um, not in a relationship with Zazie Beetz's character. Um, Yes. Like I, I thought, that was like totally unearned. It was like very obvious from the start. I thought that like this is all in his head and like not real. And the way that they reveal the twist is, I feel like you're supposed to think it's like this incredible, you know, unbelievable moment that's happening in the film, but it's just like it, it doesn't. It falls flat. To me. it fell flat to me.
1: I think that's fair. Like, I, I suspected the same. So it was, like, never, like, a big reveal the other way. Like, I kind of, I, I was leaning that way anyway. So I guess from an earned standpoint that you could make that argument for sure. I just kind of like how it... It, it didn't really completely keep you in the dark because, like, you kind of knew, you kind of had leans on yeah. where the movie was going and what was real, what was not. But the fact that you didn't ever really know, I, I thought was just kind of effective. I, I, I like not having everything just spelled out for me, clearly. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like, the fact that... Like, he goes into her apartment and is, she's like, oh, like, you aren't, like, I think you're in the wrong apartment. Um, and then, like, it's treated like a big reveal because then they go back in flashbacks yes. to the moment where, oh, she's not in the hospital room with him. Oh, she's not looking in the window of the shop with him. Like, I would have liked it to have been treated more subtly than that. Like, there's no, there's no subtlety in this movie at all. And that's, I think, <laughs> uh, that was a disappointment to me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with that part. Lee. I'm with that comment you just made. I agree.
0: Um, all right. Let's uh, let's get out of here, Cole. Uh, please, please tell people what's going on in your life. Tell people what you're writing. Tell people uh, what, what you've got.
1: Yeah, I haven't been writing a lot just because I've been trying to stay up to date with all these international guys. I probably watched 20 of them already in every single game up there. So I feel like I'm more prepared to ever for this season that I've ever been times like 20. So that's been nice. And hopefully I'll be able to write more uh, throughout the year. Cause I always struggle with how much time to allocate towards writing compared to watching and staying informed. So I feel like I'm operating from a stronger baseline. So we'll kind of see how that plays out over time. Um, so I will eventually have some stuff out in the Steppian. until then, I would say as usual, continue to listen to this podcast,
0: go to the athletic, keep me employed over there. Uh, we'll be back next week with some more breakdowns on prospects. I'm sure. Uh, Please go read the big prospect pages that I'm writing. I'm writing about every team's uh, NBA prospects, including the ones that will probably be on their G League team this year's affiliate players. So if you have big thoughts, like we literally just decided to publish the um, Pacers one right now because Sam Amick reported that Damanis Sabonis is like apparently on the market somehow uh, for trades. So, Uh, yeah, please just go to the athletic and read all of our great writers, but especially read the prospect stuff because, um, I I think it's pretty good at least. So, uh, until next time we'll talk soon. Bye.